A podcast where we go one-on-one with fiction creators, such as authors, filmmakers, actors, songwriters, and more. Each episode, we get the inside scoop on our guests' creative process, the ups and downs of their industries, and our guests also give out tips and tricks that help them become successful. And now, let's jump into the episode with your host, Chris C.L. Lowry. My next guest hails from Albany, Georgia. She is a multi-genre, best-selling fiction author. She is a graduate of the University of Maryland and is an honored member of Sigma Alpha Pi. She has written 10 novels and counting, one of which is an anthology called Loving Black Men, for which proceeds were donated to the NAACP. Her work has also been featured in several magazines, And ironically, she became a writer and interviewer with Swag Magazine, California and Swag Magazine South. Ladies and gentlemen, author Untamed. Untamed, thank you for joining us on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. And I appreciate you being here. Oh, you're welcome. No doubt. No doubt. I am honored to be here tonight with you. All right. So we're going to jump right into it we're going to jump right into it so you go by the name of untamed yes Explain i do where did, that, where, where did that name come from untamed and and i'll say this i know a lot of people automatically assume it's because of the genre you know because it has this connotations of you know sexuality and risque but actually it it became a part of me because when I first started writing, I was a little bit afraid to kind of write how I truly wanted to write because I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid, for those who don't know what PK is. So oh, okay. preacher's kid. So <laughs> I was a, I was a little, a little, you know, a little scared, a little timid to write exactly how I wanted to write. And so when I let go of that and that fear and just said, okay, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the way that I feel, the way that's in my heart. And once I did that, I saw the difference in my writing. And so that's how the pen name was birthed, Untamed. Interesting. So being a child of a preacher, how was that? Like, how is that? <laughs> still, <you're> still <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still one. Yeah, that had stopped. That had stopped. But, you know, um, it's cool. It's, it's ironic. It's so funny because. My dad, he's the preacher and he really, you know, he gets it and he supports the writing. So, you know, it's always thought it would be that hang up, but it hasn't been. And I think being um, the kid of a preacher, it gives me a lot of different perspectives. And it also adds to my writing because I, I also throw some faith based learning and, you know, things in there too to kind of enhance it and give it a different perspective from the kid for the character. So you get a little bit of, you know, that side of me as well when you see my writing and it's not like fire, hell and brimstone It's you know, it's real simplistic so that it relates to people of today. So when did your writing journey uh, begin? I was 13. I was actually given a, poetry assignment by my eighth grade teacher well the entire class was and she taught us how to write all these different forms of poetry and she said you got to create a book 
and do the assignment. So when she gave us the assignment, I killed it, made an A, and I was like, I love writing. And then I read this book by an author named Laura Hewitt called Coming of Age. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to get into story writing. I want to write poetry. So that's how everything began for me. So when you were when you were a young age, I've read that you won a Coca-Cola Young Writers Award and you also got an honorable mention at the Sandy Hills Writers Conference. So yes, what, what ages were what ages were those accolades given to you and then how was that um at oh, that age? Like man. what was it like, that experience? I will say, um, well, I was sixteen for the Coca-Cola Young Writers Award, and that was something that took me by surprise. It was actually just submitting some poetry and short stories um, through school. And, you know, they would say, oh, you could be in this competition. And they were just kind of judging the work. And they were like, if you win, you'll get a Coca-Cola Young Writers Award. And so they didn't tell us until like the end of the school year. And we got this award as me and two other people. And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. So that one was by surprise. The Writers Conference, I, um, the honorable mention there, I got in college. I um, just decided to enter into this conference. And during the conference, you could submit your writing, you know, for competition. And during that time, I just really started writing like short stories, moving into novels. And I was amongst a lot of experienced writers, people who had been writing for years, um, novels for years. So, you know, they had their top three and then they had honorable mention. They only had two. And I was on the honorable mention list and I was that and that was, you know, an honor to be amongst so, so many other writers and authors who have been doing this for a long time to even have my work be amongst those and thought of as something that was honored enough to be, you know, fall into that category. It was, you know, truly an honor for me. And I, I still that's something that still, you know, I still take pride in every day. So at that age, um, when you won those awards and you were amongst all those other young writers, did you recognize and realize the type of talent you had um, at that moment, especially winning the, the Coca-Cola Young Writers Award? It was one of those things where I, I recognized it, but I don't think I fully like I didn't fully embrace it so it's like oh, I knew I was good at writing but it wasn't anything that I really wanted to do at the time it was more like a hobby for me so I didn't embrace it the way that I do now okay so are you originally from Maryland or from Georgia I'm originally from Georgia. I actually went to school. I got um, one degree online. So that is my um, bachelor's of administration. I got online from the University of Maryland. But I was in Georgia the entire time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So Georgia is like the Mecca. I know Atlanta is like the Mecca of like, it seems to be like the Mecca of like book festivals and every event book related it just seems to be down that area so how yes. like as a as a writer is that like a plus or is that like a like kind of like an oversaturation thing with like even with music because even like Atlanta, like it's popular for how many rappers and you know so you see so many people going from the north and the west to go to Atlanta for opportunity 
do you see like when you come in contact with bookstores and Barnes and Nobles and things like that, libraries and even, is it easy to get to them because it's more uh, independent writers down there? Or is it like a harder uh, situation because it's, I guess they got the, the, the pick of the litter, you know what I mean? In some sense. Oh, wow. See, and, and I actually love talking about this because that is the thing is if you're in Atlanta, like if you're actually live in Atlanta, it's very easy. I mean, and I don't stay too far. I stay actually outside of Atlanta in another city. But when you go to Atlanta, it's like a totally different world. Atlanta is, I always say, Atlanta is should be separate from Georgia because it seems like it operates completely different than any other part of Georgia. Um, Damn. It's like <laughs> you go to Atlanta and you have all this opportunity and it's very easy. You know, they're very welcoming. But in Georgia is made up of a lot of smaller towns outside of Atlanta. And so what you run into is that it's actually more difficult in the smaller cities to get your work out there versus mm. going to Atlanta. So it, it's kind of like a twofold, you know, if you're not in Atlanta directly, then it's a little bit harder. So you tend to have to go to Atlanta or go out of Georgia, really, and then bring it back into the smaller towns for you to right. get, yeah, 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 to get a little bit of traction. <laughs> That's crazy. So it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So do you do a lot of book festivals and stuff over there? I know the five, five, six chicks, they have their, um, the book group, they got their big festival usually in like July or something like that. Do you usually do a lot of book festivals down there? I, I did do five, five, six. I've done smaller venues and I do like smaller book signings. I'm just now starting to get out to do like the bigger venues. I was, um, I always said I had more of the old school author flavor with me. I always kind of wanted to be in the background. <laughs> back in the oh, day, you, you want to be out back, there? You know, back in the day when you just read the book and you really didn't know who the author was. That's kind of how I right, was. Right, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm embracing, you know, getting out into the crowds. I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so how was that, like, how was that experience now, knowing that, not even just in writing. I think in every aspect of entertainment, in some, if you're in some form of entertainment business, it seems like you have to be personal. You have to show face. You have to interact. You know what I mean? So even with like musicians, athletes, it's like mandatory to have for the consumers to have that type of reach to you. Like how is that embracing that new type of style of um, entertainment? It's fun, but it's draining. The thing about authors, a lot of authors are introverts. So, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they, they love to write, but they like, okay, I want to be outside of the scene, you know, because we always think of that when we think of interaction, we think more of like artists, you know, singers, rappers, things like that. But authors are a lot more introverted. So it's a newer thing for authors to kind of get out there, you know, the way that you see other entertainers do. But it's fun because once you start interacting with people who, you know, love to read and other authors, you kind of form like this, this club, I say, you know, where, where, you know, it's, it's this members only type of deal and you all know what you're talking about. You know, you love to talk about your book characters, the plot. So right, right. <laughs> it, it's, it's, 
it started, you know, it started to take, it started to take a little wind, take a little flight. And so you get to enjoy it and it brings us out of our shell a bit more. So I'm starting to embrace it and I love it. I love interacting with the readers. I love when they get excited, you know, about the books and when they relate to it. And I think that's what really gives us a lot of spark, you know, and, um, so now, you know, it's it's we're we're starting to become the new rock stars of the entertainment industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> so going back to being a preacher's kid, when you released your first book, what was that, 2012? Yes. The first uh when you published your first published book, how was that? Um what what genre was it? Was it urban fiction? It was urban fiction. How was yes. that like breaking it to your like family and friends? Like I know because that first debut, <laughs> you're so nervous. You're like, <laughs> you're like you're telling people right. don't read it near me. Like you know what I mean? Read it when you get home. Right. How was that? Like how was that experience, especially with the parents and everything? Right. Okay. So my my uh, my mom is deceased when I released it, but my aunt, who is like my mother, she you know her and my dad, they're of course my pillars. So. Of course, by my dad being a preacher, I was really reserved with him. And I have a very open relationship with my aunt. And so, you know, talking to them, I was really leery. Like, with the rest of my family, I was like, oh, whatever. You read it, you read it, you don't, you don't. But, you know, with those two in particular, I was trying to be, you know, very suave and how I approached it to them, you know, like and just trying to slide it in there really smooth and I was thinking my aunt would catch it. So, you know, I'm like with my aunt, I'm like, okay, auntie, you know, when the book comes out, it's urban fiction. And she was like, okay, so what does that mean? And I'm like, you know, it's it's urban and you know, I'm trying to figure out how to actually tell it to her. And she's like, um, so what do you mean? What's wrong with it? So finally, I was just like, well, auntie, you know, it has some cursing, some sex in it. And she's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, 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 OK, OK. So I go to my dad, the preacher, and I'm like, OK, dad, you know, the book is urban fiction. And before I can finish, she's like, so it's got some cursing and some sex. So I was like, I'm definitely your kid. Oh, uh -oh, pops. He's like, he's got some cursing and some sex. And I'm like, OK, I'm definitely your, your kid. I can tell. Yeah, he was ready for it. <laughs> so how, what, what made you choose the genre? Well, I know you. I know you jump from different genres. I know you. Uh, you could pin any genre basically. So, what what made you choose which genres to specifically focus in? Urban fiction, I chose simply because it just fit what I was writing at the time. Um, which the story that I was pinning was basically um, about four young ladies who were teen um, mothers. And I wanted to tell that from a perspective of relatability, you know, so it was uh. it's going into when they're older. So it's basically them having to live and learning how to be young mothers and survive through love and the different family circumstances that they went through. And that was important to me because a lot of times, especially the African-American community, but minority community altogether, we don't talk about issues. We kind of just brush them under the rug and deal with it. So it was yeah. important for me to just tell it from that perspective because the feedback I wanted to do and the dialogue I wanted to just 
start was that you're not in this alone. You're not, you've, you know, there's plenty of teen mothers. There's plenty of people who've gone through family issues and, you know, abusive relationships and different things, you know, that add to this dynamic. And that's the reason why it was chosen, you know, more so because I wanted it to be a realistic story. Right. So you finish college, yes. you have your, you have your passion, you have your passion for writing, you know, you're good at it. You won some awards at a younger age. So the time comes around, obviously, before you publish your first one, what was, what was the goal when it came to writing? What was that moment where you said, okay, I'm going to do this and, and actually try to get a book published out here? Oh, man, I, for whatever reason, I went through this little phase where I really wasn't writing like I used to. I don't know if it was, you know, growing up, going to college, getting married, kids. I I just wasn't writing. And then I got this itch. And anybody who's like truly passionate about writing, they tell you it comes a time where you, if you do stop, that you get this itch to write again. But this time when I got it again, I was writing and I just felt like I wanted to do more with it. And I was kind of, you know, teetering around saying, okay, I don't know if I want to be a published author or not. And I actually, because raised in church, my first thing, go to God. Okay, what do you want me to do? You know, God, if you want me to publish, give me a sign because I'm just not going to put myself out there like that. (laughs) And so I, I never forget when I was really battling about whether or not I wanted to publish, Tyler Perry was getting some type of award. I wasn't even watching the award show. I was walking through my house. My husband was watching it. And I stopped because I heard Tyler Perry say, you know, you're meant to do something when you try to leave it alone, but it won't leave you alone. And that's the moment mm-hmm. I knew. That was the moment I knew. Wow. So. <laughs> One Karma Publishing comes around. How how did you meet that company? How did you stumble upon them? I actually, I stumbled upon them through Twitter. It was, I was on Twitter. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and um, one thing that really, I was becoming really big on was just finding, you know, authors to follow and, you know, talking and just trying to, stumble and find my way into the industry and social media was newer at the time but it was the best way to go because it's like you know you find someone who's an author and you can ask the questions it was really personable on twitter back then so um i found the author who was actually with one karma at the time and i asked him i said oh well how did you you know get with them did you submit did you have to do a query you know asking all the questions and they're like, oh, okay, you just, you know, you can go on their website and do the submission. And if they like it, they'll contact you. And I said, okay. And so I, you know, I went online, read up about the company. And I said, well, I'll, I'll submit and see what happens. And like two weeks later, they reached out. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> That's crazy. So how was, how was that moment? Like you actually, you know what I mean? So how was that moment? Where did you have a book signing for your first, uh, your first book? Yes, I did. I had a book signing. Um, oh my gosh, it was. I was preparing for that. <laughs> <gasps> Man, it's nerve wracking but exciting. It's like 
it, it's like when you know when you're a kid and you were getting ready for that big birthday party. <laughs> you know that mouse oh, yeah. party when you're, when you're like ten. I'm I'm going to go do this. I'm going to you know to the arcade, my friends. So it's it's like that. It's like that one in a million feeling. But every time you actually release a book, you get the same feeling. But that first you know letter of acceptance when you get signed. It it was just I was on cloud nine thousand. I was like I could not mm. believe I was about to be a published author, but it is definitely you know something that's exciting, exhilarating, but it's also nerve wracking because now you know that your dream is coming to fruition. You're like okay, now I actually have to put my work out there for public ridicule. So that's you know yeah, you oh, have all yeah. of those nervous energies, the balls and stuff because you just. You're wondering, okay, if people are going to love my writing, you know, they're going to hate right. it. And, you know, it's one thing when you have a few select people saying, yeah, 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 it's really good. And then you open it up to the world and they're like, it's trash. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. You know, that's, your, <laughs> that's your biggest fear is that you like, okay, I want to write because I want to be an impact or, you know, I have a passion for it, but I just wanted to be well received too. So, but you you take it all in stride because there's no other feeling like that to know that you're actually living out your dream. And I think that was the biggest thing that, you know, that takes place is that once you realize you're, this is your dream and it's coming into fruition, it pales everything else into comparison. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's the truth. So right. in 2014, you decide to self-publish. What made you do that from... From the two years prior, I decided to become a self-published author um, because I wanted more creative control. Um, when you go traditional, and break, that, and break that down for uh, break that down for the uh, writers starting out that don't truly understand what that means to them. Exactly, when you're um, under a traditional publisher, um, they dictate everything. You know everything about your book except for the crux of your writing. So. They dictate the editing, they dictate the book covers, they dictate the release dates, you know, they dictate any type of marketing, anything that comes out, they are the ones who, you know, they have the final say for it. And I wanted more of a creative control because I'd always been the type whenever I, you know, thrust myself into something, I learn it. So as um and and that's one thing that I would encourage any author to do is that don't just sit back and just write the book and be the author. Learn the business, learn the mm -hmm. industry of of the things that you do. Even if you are not proficient in editing, learn what a good editor does. You know, learn about the different right. types and, of and it's supposed to do. <laughs> and it's supposed to, yes, yeah, supposed to do. You know, learn the different <laughs> types of editing and you know, what they do and what they're supposed to do so that even if you can't do it for yourself, you know what they're supposed to be doing. So you can have your own back, essentially. And so I wanted the creative control um, because I wanted to be able to control when I released my books. I wanted to control my artwork. I wanted to control some of the things I say, because let's be real, too, even with editing, you have editors who will change your writing style. And sometimes it's necessary for the technicalities of the grammatical part. But some of it is just specifically for the story. And if there's something that you want in there that you want it to be in there because you know that it's going to be impactful to your story, 
then it's best that you have that type of control because at the end of the day, you won't sometimes with some publishers yeah, and, yeah. They, and they'll, you know, they'll chop it up a little bit and you might not be too happy with it, but that was my biggest thing. I wanted more creative control um, because I had a series coming out and I I wanted to be able to release those books when I wanted to, not to have them delayed, you know, for a certain length of time. So that was my biggest reason. So you've been in the self-published moment at 2014 to up until um, 2018 when you actually signed a, a major deal with Urban Books. Yes. How was that? How was that? That's like you went through every layer of being a writer. I did. <laughs> every single one. I did. And I think that is a man. That's a journey and a blessing of his own. So, like, you know, the tradition, I was signed traditionally, but it was a smaller independent publishing house. And then I went self published. And so then 2018, I went to major publishing with Urban Books Kingston. And that is an amazing, that's a feeling of true accomplishment when you get a major book deal. Cause now it's like, okay, nationally and internationally, you have eyes on you, you know, that's different than the smaller publishing houses. And I, I that right. was such a major accomplishment to just be able to secure those deals and just know this work is something that they value enough to, you know, extend the deal. So I was just, I mean, I'm still, like, I saw it was on cloud 9,000. Then I went from cloud 9,000 <laughs> to cloud 900,000. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still riding that wave. I am still on that wave, and it, it is that's a that's a long road to a journey that I had to be on to get to that level. But you know, it came at a time where I felt like I was maturing my writing. I was maturing in the industry and learned a lot along the way. So I'm glad that it came when it came because it gave me time to be able to develop myself to hone my skills and to learn, you know, not as much as I possibly can, but I, I learned, I knew a lot more at that stage in the game than I did when I first started. Right. Heck yeah. So was that, what was the mindset behind signing that deal? Was it kind of like, because at that point I'm assuming, um, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but you were like honed in the game. So you knew. So them approaching you was different than them approaching somebody that was just writing and didn't know that didn't know the business behind it. You know what I mean? So how was that approaching it? Was was it was that the goal all along or was it kind of hesitant? Uh just like reading between the lines, making sure the contract was right, just because you knew the game at that point. It was um it was a little bit of both. Because I, you know, I wanted to for me at this point being a writer and being in the literary world to realm altogether was pretty much everything that I was doing full time. So I'd started to dive into other aspects. So I was like, you know what, at this point, in order for me to be able to accomplish this goal over here, I may need, you know, to allow my works to go and be back traditionally published because it's hard to try to maintain your own books and then you're trying to do other things like for me I um went into podcasting and went into open untamed publishing which is providing those independent services like 
book trailers and editing. So when you start doing other things, you you become secondary. And you, I had to say, okay, well, look, I'm still an author, first and foremost. But because I knew, you know, the industry, I knew, you know, what to look for. That approach was something, and it, and it wasn't forced. And I feel like if you have to force it, then it's maybe not for you. It was one of those where the, the deal just was for my benefit. And that's what you really have to make sure that anything that you're getting into is going to be more beneficial for you in the end as an author than, you know, than the company. You know, they're going to make their coins. Trust me, they're going to make their money. But, right. <laughs> but you know, the bottom line is that they're, that's their bottom line. You know, regardless of what comes and goes, it's the money for them. But, you know, and it may be other things, you know, for the author. It may be a mixture of the money, exposure, the time it takes. Because just being honest, being self-published isn't for everyone. They don't want to have to do all of the behind the scenes. And Everything. I get it. Because <laughs> when you're self-published, it's all it's a hundred percent on you. And it's more than just writing the story. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's you gotta pick out your events, you gotta pick out the book cover, you gotta find you gotta build yes. a team basically. And you've got to build it's, a team. <laughs> exactly. And um, I was fortunate because I, and I will say this networking will be key to any author. Like you have to network, not just with other authors and readers, but you have to network with people in the industry who do other things, graphics designers and editors, Mm -hmm. you know, proofreaders, beta readers. You have to network with people and get you a solid team that you can trust, you know, on your side. And I was fortunate because I I began networking without realizing I was networking, but that's just kind of how I am. I, I'm low key, but I love the support of the people. And so in supporting other people, I began to network with them. So when I made the decision to self-publish, I was like, okay, I made this decision. Now, how am I going to go about this? And then I started looking around and was like, oh, wait, but I network with graphic designer, a couple of them who I trust and I've networked with some editors, you know, so it was easier yeah. for me because I built a team of people who I trusted around me. So when I went out on my own, I wasn't on my own. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Definitely. Definitely. And you, um, when securing that, that deal, um, how much did your work play into it? Do you believe played into it? Like you having published 10 books already and having a body of work to, to present to them, to show your craft, how much, how important was that? Or wasn't important at all? It was absolutely important because one of the things they, you know, they do look at is your body of work. You know, how much have you written? How, you know, mature is your writing? How honed in on your craft are you? That is a big deal for them when they're considering books. And, you know, also, if you're able to continue to produce content, of course, if you produce like 10 books and in four or five years oh yeah you can come up with content on a dime you know what I mean so that's that's a big deal it's like okay you can produce content like full-length novels um within you know short time frames in case there is a, a a type of assignment because they do have different assignments that come up and say hey we we might lead the author to to start this anthology or do a series over here. And we need someone who could actually 
produce a full-length novel in like 90 days you know what I mean so it's like uh, that that is definitely one thing that they seriously do look into um is your content you know and how much you can have produced and the quality and the quantity are the biggest things so when you secure that deal you went through it you had an agent right you work with an agent yes i did i worked with the agent i i first had to land my agent let me back <laughs> i had to land my <laughs> agent first because i what people kind of don't get is that differently from sports or you know music where you kind of just go and hire an agent you know who could represent you literary world works a bit differently where you actually have to land an agent like this. It's kind of it's really hard to secure an agent. Um, they have to get your work and look at it and see if they want to actually take you on as a client. And that's where mm. a lot of query letters come in. You have to query agents. And I I was at this like I said, I was at this impasse. Where I was like, OK, I need to I need some help. <laughs> I can't do all of this on my own anymore. I, I need to be able to, I think I want to actually attempt to try to land a major publishing deal. So I was like, I need to get an agent. And so I had to query um, one who I truly trusted, the leader of the agency. She'd worked with Streber Books and Zane. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to go for it, I'm going to go for the gusto. And I, you know, did everything. I did the query letter, did my submission, which is normally submitting to them like the first few chapters of your work and called me back within two days. And we had a couple of conversations and it was official. I got my official. Hey, I want to represent you. I love your work. <laughs> I believe in it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I just. Damn. I, <laughs> it, it was crazy. It is, it is so crazy. But I have enjoyed the process. I just and I feel like everything happens with time. I don't think that I would have been able to secure the agency I did when I first started versus when I did, you know, a mm. couple of years in. So it's like, okay, I, I, I'm always a believer that things happen when they're supposed to. So, and I, and I move, I've always said, I always want to be inclined with the right move. That was my first goal before I even entered. I was like, you know, guide my steps because I need to be make the right moves and not the wrong ones. And I and I've I've done right. good oh, so yeah. far. <laughs> I've done good so far. So I'm excited. <laughs> All right, that's dope. That's real dope. I swear if it's like a author's bucket list, you checked off every single <laughs> almost every single thing. Honestly, like every accomplishment someone could do. You know what I mean? Landing an agent, landing a small deal, landing a big deal doing it on your own starting your own publishing company like it's everything you didn't check everything i don't know man your, your list getting kind of <laughs> you have to you have to uh have to create the world. aim higher yeah like what else is there to do <laughs> well, so i mean you know i i'm well i am working on turning one of my books into a movie so that's the next and there we go and there we go <laughs> which one is it I'm the curious. view the view Ah, I just read it. Oh, we're going to get into that later. We're getting into that later. I'm glad I read that one, too. <laughs> um, so you actually started Untamed Publishing, too. 
Yes, and I did. You got the podcast, you got the publishing, you got the editing, you got the ghostwriting. Yes. So how how <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, damn, you got <laughs> So how is that? How is that going from to the boss's side of things? You know what I mean? In terms of publishing. Let's let's start with publishing. Oh my gosh. That is a different animal altogether. You know, it's it's one thing to be the boss of yourself, <laughs> but when you start, you know, becoming going into a business where you're actually having to take in clients and do work for them, that is a different type of beast. And it's something I did not want to do. Um, that Why not? actually, <laughs> I was, I was focusing on me and I was just like, I don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, do anything working with other people. I, I'm an author. That's all I want to do. I'm content. And I kept, <laughs> again, I was having these dreams, these odd dreams about starting Untamed Publishing. And I was just like, nope, not going to do this. You know, it's one of those things where I was like, I knew it was a message from God. And I was like, no, you know, and I actually sat there and I was like, you know what, God, I don't care what you say. I'm content. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm an author. That's all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. And of course, he laughed at me and showed me, no, you're going to do what I want you to do. So... I actually ended up having um, an author friend who me and her would talk, you know, sporadically. And this particular time, we she called me out of the blue for something completely non-author related. And in the conversation, we wound up going into the fact that she was like, I've had editors who just, you know, they've, screwed me over and Mm. I felt so bad listening to this story, this particular story that she was telling me. And I was like, I'll do it. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll take your book and I'll, you know, I'll look over it and I'll edit it. And I was just kind of going over the different, you know, levels of editing kinds. And she was like, oh, well, I think I, you know, I need developmental editing on it. And I said, okay. And she was like, well, I can't not pay you. And in the middle of when she said that, I laughed and I was like, okay, so this is how we're going to start this business now. (laughs) I just just knew. I was like, right (laughs) there. This is how we're starting. And she literally paid me for three books to do three of her books. Right. And I said, oh, wow. And I said, okay. And I told her essentially what, why I was laughing and what was going on. And she was like, it was meant for you to launch it. She was like, because you have such a passion for it. And you have not just a passion for yourself, but for other people. And I think that's why it was being placed on you. Because there's so many scammers and schemers that... God mm. wants somebody in place who's going to look out, not just for themselves, but for others. And I said, you know what? You're right. And that's how I started. <laughs> Speaking of scammers and schemers, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got so much experience. I know you've seen it. I know, like, what do you, th- it's, it's, it's literally flooding. They are flooding this industry uh, and they're preying on these new writers. And it's a shame. Like, what is your opinion of them? Oh my God. Yes, it is. I mean, it's becoming the whole East Coast, West Coast of the 90s in the literary industry. Yeah, oh, listen. Not, oh, <laughs> it's, 
It's horrible. I mean, I think it's it's bad, you know, to take advantage of people's dreams and their livelihood, essentially. Because um, you have authors who are, you know, making this is what they do full time. And right. you have yeah. a lot of people that, you know, that are, are taking advantage of that because they know that people have a passion and they want to make the money and they want to get their names out. And so they are, they are taking advantage of it in different ways. You know, I've seen a lot of things that have come down the pike, you know, even from seasoned, you know, authors and newer independent publishing houses. I think that is it's sad and I think that it's unfortunate, but I also know that, when you're diving into any type of industry, especially in entrepreneurship, it happens. You know, you have people who are just mm-hmm. not going to be, you know, honest. They're unsavory. They, you know, they're out for themselves. And so the only way that you can really combat that is to do your research and to do your homework. And, you know, don't just willingly sign with someone because, you you know you have stars in your eyes you have to read the contract right. ask the hard questions and you know consult with other authors about their business practices you know ask them for a list of their clients and you know talk with them and see how it's turning out you know and if you do see those warning signs or people you know saying it cuz and, and I'll be honest you know you do have people who you can't please everybody all the time. So they may have a one-off situation, you know? So, you know, you have to just talk to more than just the one person. So, you know, to kind of gauge it on your own, but always, even in that, have your back, you know, make sure you read your paperwork, make sure you, before you sign, if it's something that you don't agree with or something that you, you know, want to change up, you know, Hey, broach them with it. And, you know, stand firm on it. And if you don't understand it, there's nothing wrong with seeking legal advice. Go to a, you know, get a counselor, attorney and and ask them, hey, can you tell me about this contract? You want to make sure it's not top heavy for the publisher or whoever else, you know, you want to make sure that it's at least (laughs) fair to you, you know, and and that's the biggest thing that I would tell any author to understand that writing is your passion, but it's also very much so a business. And you oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> you yeah. don't want to get had. And, that, and that's the biggest thing. You just don't want to get had. <laughs> and, and so on the flip side, how do you feel about authors, like, when they get jerked? And from, like, people who, you know, you can you smell it coming from a mile away. Like, right. you know that's a, a whole scheme, a whole scheme. Like, how do you, because you can't save everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Especially, it's, it's hard because people, man, people are crazy. People they don't want to take advice. They want to mm-hmm. do popularity. They want to go pop. And then they get jerked around and you're kind of like looking at them like you feel bad for them, but you're like, yo, you, you should have known. So right. how does that, because like, even, even, even on publishing tip, like obviously we'll talk about some of this later, but there's a lot of people that are getting jerked around, man. And I feel bad for these writers, but you having your publishing company and knowing that person could easily sign with you and been good. And, but instead they went for like popularity and they end up getting jerked. Like what is the message? What's the overall message to writers, period, new, old, whatever. Like what is your message to them in terms of that? I always say this, and this is my biggest thing. I don't click up. I don't, you know, I don't click mm. up. I, I support who I support a hundred percent. 
And I'm going to support you if you're deserving of it. And I always say this, you know, for me, writing is a passion. And I'm not Mm. looking for anyone or looking to anyone who this is just a come up or a get rich quick type of scheme or, you know, some way to make coins. It, you know, because you have a lot of people who just, they they go along to get along. They see somebody doing this and they jump on that bandwagon. Then they're off that bandwagon to another one, you know, just they're yeah. going with the oh, trend yeah. and the popularity. And so I would say, you know, to anyone that's listening, like if you, you just, if this is what you want to do, follow your passion for it. If it's not your passion, then you're going to go end up going down some rabbit holes that you might find yourself later going, what did I do? You know, because you're chasing the trend, you know, so I don't follow the trend. I don't click up, you know, you go with people who genuinely and honestly support other people and not just try to, um, band everybody together because you're trying to make a dollar. You see what I'm right. saying? Oh, yeah. Or you're trying to get your name out there because you also have to be cognizant of who you tie your name to as well. Mm. Because there are people out here who will not do business with certain people because they know that they're scammers. Oh, yeah. And if you're linked to them and you might not be that might not be a part of you, but you're just doing it to be a part of this popular clique, then you're tarnishing your name. Yeah. You always have to be cognizant of your name be cognizant of who you're doing business with and, you know, just do everything earnestly because of the passion of it, because you believe in this person's ability, you believe in their talent. And I think that will get you a lot further than just trying to do something going along to get along, to make a dollar, to be popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to be guilty by association regardless. Like you said, yeah, they, they're going to be plump right into there with them exactly. scammers. <laughs> so, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Like, you know what I mean? And they I don't think they realize that. I don't think once you your name, you could build you could rebuild your name, but in this industry, once it once you got dirt on your name, it's yeah, it's hard. Yeah. You ain't yes. gonna come back from that. You know what I mean? You're always gonna have that over your head. It's not. It's not because I mean you you have some seasoned authors who are out here, and when I say seasoned, I'm just not saying, you know, like some heavy oh, yeah. hitting names that controversy follows them every time their name is mentioned. And you really have to, you know, and and that's why you say it's going to follow you regardless. Like, I mean, it's some authors out here who have been in the game for like 20, 30 years and they are popular. And the first thing you hear about them when you get into the industry, now as a reader, you might not really pay attention to it or hear it. But once you get into the industry, the first thing you hear is the negative stuff, you know, that has followed them. Even if they've changed, even if this, you know, was one thing. So you have to really be mindful of what you do and who you tie your name to. Because it, I don't care. It'll still follow you. <laughs> right. Oh, hell yeah. And what about the writers who do get caught up? And obviously, like, the, the game itself can be discouraging. But I can't imagine getting scammed and 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 falling for that. So what... If there's writers out there that get scammed and get discouraged and figure like this is not the industry for them based off one bad experience or maybe shit, maybe two. But like what do you recommend them staying out the game or do you tell them to would you tell them to like dust themselves off and, and, and get back at it and learn and, and just do the research? Like what, what, 
What would you think? I would tell him, you know, dust your stuff off. I, I do think that you have to take some time, take a step back, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gather yourself, <laughs> you know, don't just be like, okay, you know what? This happened to me, and so tomorrow I'm going to sign with somebody else. No, you need to take a step back. You need to actually learn what happened, figure out what happened, how to make it better, how to correct it on your end. And also, I will say this, and we talk, we were talking about how, you know, getting into social media and getting into the limelight and the public eye is needed, but you also have to learn restraint. So one thing that can benefit authors is if you do find yourself in a situation don't jump on social media blasting uh, and talking yeah. reckless and saying, you know, all these different things. Refrain from it. You know, sit back and learn, observe, figure out what's going on, find out, you know, the true tea of what's going on and figure out how you can correct your situation and then approach it from a stance of this happened to me. This is what I did. I want if you want to help other people, you know, come from a place of positivity and helpfulness, even if, you know, it's the situation that you were really wrong and you were really scammed, because even that will follow you. Because the first thing, as a business person, I look at, and this is how I approach everything, you know, even as an author, whether I'm doing it as a, under a publishing company or I'm doing it as an author, um, I want to be able to tailor what I say and how I say it mm. because I don't want anybody to say this person is not someone I would want to do business right. with. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. So, you know, and that even is even down to the little things. I I talk to authors who like to, you know, ask me for advice. They're like, well, what's something that's a pet peeve? I hate when an author gets on there and they go off about a book review, you know, on social media. I mean, your book is out there is going to get reviews. Sometimes we do know that people do, you know, try to leave <laughs> heinous reviews sometimes oh, yeah. based off the author. Oh, yeah. But, people be hating. You, know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't slam everybody who gives you a negative review, even if it hurts. You know, you have to have thick skin. Right. Take it with a grain of salt. Take it on the chin. Um, but you always have to be cognizant of how you present yourself, you know. And, and that's more so for business purposes because... As an author, if your ultimate goal is to sign a major deal, a major deal isn't going to come where drama is. You know, they they have a business to run. And then, and then they also know that, like I said, the, their bottom line is always their dollar. And if they feel like their dollar is going to be jeopardized by defamation of character, lawsuits, and all of this <laughs> kind of stuff, they're not going <laughs> to... They're not gonna be. They're not gonna want to sign somebody that they always have to try to defend oh, yeah, and no. battle in court. You know, so it's it's that you know it's a twofold. You know, they're also looking at your character and how you represent yourself as well. That's a big issue too. So um, when you get those major machines, major machines come with money, and with money comes the piranhas. You know, so you have to be <laughs> mindful to try to to protect their dollar too. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. And once you once you once you attach to the name, yeah, that you drag them in it with you. <laughs> yes, yeah. You you drag them in there with you. They will drop you like a hot. Oh hell yeah. They don't want to have to pay anybody extra. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Yo, shout out to the book reviews, man. Especially the dumb ones. <laughs> since we since we talked about yep. since we brought them up, I had no problem with book reviewers like the the. My issue comes with, with the dumb stuff. Like somebody will read a book, pick up a book called shit 
the podcast short story and leave like a three star review. Oh, this book was good, but it was just so short. Like, hold on. Like, you knew <laughs> you can't. You knew it was a short. That, that's the reviews that burn me up when I read some people's reviews. It's like, you said nothing negative about this book. And oh, no. And the readers that uh, leave bad reviews because the way the book turned up, like the way it ended. Oh man, I wouldn't have ended like, oh, like what? Like, oh, that, that's crazy, man. And then shout out to the janky publishing companies doing their competitors. Even better. <laughs> yeah. People messy, I'm, man. This is the best. The janky. They are. I, you know, I will say this. I will even, I've learned to even accept those reviews. The ones that do sting, and I haven't had this. Hopefully, I won't. Uh, ever are the reviews that people leave because they don't like the author or they're trying to compete you know with the author because i mean you have and that's just true you can read it they'll say you know i've seen reviews of people didn't eat they've left a one-star review and they didn't even review about the book oh yeah like i don't like oh yeah oh yeah i don't like the title like what I don't like the title. I don't like the author. You know, it, you know, they're just saying these different things because and those come with people having petty arguments with the, the person who wrote the book. But um, they right. just, you know, those are the ones that I'm like, please stop. You know, those are ones that are kind of hurtful when I see them. And but yeah. I will say this, anybody who's reading the reviews, if you read one like that, then, you know, that's more of a vendetta one. But um, right, exactly. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. Now, I do. I, I will say this. I understand. and if an author does vent about that, they have every right to. I'll just be honest. You know that that they do have a right to vent about. But <laughs> uh, you know, the ones that kind of irk me are when you have someone who's leaving an honest review, like they actually go in there and they tell you why. You know, like, oh, you had a lot of grammatical errors or you had, oh, um, yeah, oh, yeah, you oh, know, yeah. the story didn't flow. And they're actually giving you feedback and you go in and you're malicious to them and say, oh, so oh, now yeah. you're an editor. Here is a book reader who thinks they're an editor. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode of the Fiction Addiction Podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. Yeah, when when authors, you know, they criticize reviewers who are actually giving them positive feedback, that irks me. Because I'm like, okay, they're not an editor, but, you know, they don't have to be an editor to tell you if it's horrible grammar, you know, or, right. <laughs> or if the story didn't flow. You know, you have a lot of avid readers out here who really understand how character development and the flow of a story, the plot, you know, sub-stories and sub-characters work. You know, it, it, it that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have a degree. I mean, we don't have to have True. a degree to write, so they don't have to have Fact. a degree to understand <laughs> how it reads, you know. <laughs> so it's like you know when they say things like that it's it's a knock to the reader but it's also a knock to them because it's a missed opportunity for them to understand how they can make their writing better and those are the ones you need to value because they are actually bold enough to put in the review you know why they gave it the review that they gave it and you know they tell what they like and what they didn't like and so those are ones that I 
I would love when authors embrace them and say, okay, you know, even if they don't tell them anything, they take it for themselves and they're just like, okay, you know what? I get what they're saying. Now I'm going to go and make sure I do this or, you know, I'm going to work on story development because a lot of times they're not saying that they're not going to give the author a second chance. They're just telling them what they feel didn't work in that book and something that they can work on. And, um, Oh, you yeah, know, definitely. if they take it in, they they might have a lifetime fan, you know. But if you yeah. if you're on social media blasting the person who's trying to tell you <laughs> <laughs> positively what's going on, then they're like, okay, you know what? It's like a million other authors out here. I don't have to buy right. your book. <laughs> you don't even know who like you don't even know who connected. Like that could be a relative what? or somebody that work at a publishing company. You up there airing people out. <laughs> right right i mean and you just never know like i've i've seen i've heard of an instance where you know a young lady was like in the grocery store and she was talking about she's an author and you know and the cashier was like oh yeah well, what's your book and come to find out like she was really even though she was cashier she was connected like she really had some people who could really oh, do damn. some things in the game, you know what I mean? And she was like, if I like your book, I'll pass it along. And that's what happened. And that's how, you know, Arthur knew she got signed because oh, of a cashier who liked her book. You that's know, so crazy. you can't just judge a book by its cover. Right. <laughs> Actually, as the cliche says, you can't judge a book by its cover because you just never know who's interconnected. So I always say, you know, take take the, you know, you know what's the vendetta, you know right. what's not. So you have to get off of, I hate one thing that I wish would die in 2019 is the word hater. Everybody mm-hmm. ain't hate. Yeah, some people, they ain't got nothing to hate on. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Right. Everybody is not a hater. You know, it's like, no, people cannot honestly feel this way and they have a good reason to. And it's not hating. It's just the truth. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about this ghost writing. Ghost writing is very interesting to me uh, because I've I've pinned some stuff for some people. And um, it's interesting. Because especially for a, a a writer, it's two two things I want to ask you about. So, what do you think about like some of the people that have ghostwriting? Like you ghostwriting something for somebody? How long have you been ghostwriting? I have been ghostwriting now for a little over a year. <laughs> so, um, I um, I enjoy it. I I will say this. It allow it gives me the flexibility to create a story mm-hmm. from an idea that's not my own. <laughs> so I, I I enjoy that part. Um is you know, sometimes creativity well, you're like, oh my goodness, if I don't have to come up with the idea, then I can kinda go. If you have free reign, you know, you can kinda go the direction you you want to go. But um, I I enjoy it. I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, it's my my question for you is because I feel weird about this. Uh, when the work is released, it's kind of like behind the scenes you can like claim the work, but like depending on the contract and NDAs and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you got like some good work out there. You obviously you got some good work out there that you can't really like publicly claim. You know what I mean? Like 
obviously mm-hmm. goes on your resume. So how do you feel like about like when a project is real good and you're like, damn, I should have, I could, I could have kept that for myself. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the end. That's one thing for me that was important. It was, um, as far as ghostwriting, because you do have certain projects depending on the contract and everything that you, you can't, Behind the scenes, people know, but you can't really, right. you know, say it publicly or be identified publicly. It was important for me that any ghostwriting contract I secure that I'm a part of. And the only reason I say that is because I want to not necessarily take credit for the work, their work, you know what I mean? But to be able to have that on my resume oh, yeah, for myself, to say, to be able to publicly say, I, you know, in in my own deals, in my own dealings, um, this is what I did. In that way that I could still do that. Um, so the deals that I have secured as far as ghostwriting, you know, my name um is featured on there, you know, on the book cover as well, you know, and it's it's something that is a part of my contract where I say, Hey, I don't wanna take your primary give me my piece of the pie, but I just want to be able to say I have this recognition. So that way, even if someone's, you know, it's not public knowledge or really not acknowledged outwardly, that I can still pull it and say, hey, I worked on this and here's proof because my name is on the cover. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, I, and so so that that's my biggest thing. It's more so when it comes to ghost rights, just being able to acknowledge it whenever I want to have my own own deal so that way if i want to continue ghostwriting for other people i can show my body of work or if it comes down to securing bigger book deals and wanting to say okay well let me see your body of work i can include it for my own you know my own dealing so it's not necessarily to take the shine away from the author who is putting out the work but just so that i can build my own resume and my own body of work for myself so that you know that's that's how I like to set up mine I do know that there you know some out here where you can't you know is is strictly yeah. confidential you know and I understand that I mean because depending on the meal ticket of it I <laughs> I, I'm about I to say would, yeah those you those usually got the bigger bag with it you know <laughs> the, depending on the, the mail ticket you know you, you got to secure the bag now I'm not gonna tell nobody not to secure right. the bag but you know i understand it because you know if the story is really good and it does you know hit it it does kind of hurt in a a different way that's a different kind of feeling because you can't say anything so i guess in those times those those where you have to kind of weigh the options i say if it's going to be that type of deal then let it be worth your time you know if i if i'm gonna have to suck it up and watch my good hard work just be you know, accoladed to someone else, at least I can feel a little bit better with my bank yeah. account sitting a little oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like, oh, I, would, yeah. I would do that kind of deal for some pennies. I would have to actually be secure a different way. I'd be like, okay, you know what? <laughs> but I'm sleeping at night. <laughs> right, yeah, I ain't worried about that damn book. I got money, you know what I mean? Like, so right, you know. <laughs> so drop a tip for a ghostwriter, a young ghostwriter that's trying to get in this industry in terms of like you said, I like I like that how you have some uh, contribution to the contract to help protect yourself as well. So drop a quick tip for a ghostwriter 
or someone that wants to get into ghostwriting and is starting out? Um, if you want to get into ghostwriting, my biggest thing would be is that if this if it's a way for you to get your name out there, then go for the deals where you're a part of the actual project, not just writing a project, but in the end part. You know, you get paid up front and then you get royalties. Your name is on the cover so that you can have acknowledgement that you were a contributor to the work. You know, and extend that as far as you can. You know, if that book, if the person is thinking about taking this book and turning it into a stage play or turning it into an independent film or a major motion picture or a TV script, that you get a percentage of that as well. You know, try to ride ride that wave as much as you can because you get different earnings depending on the industry that you go into. So, of course you might get a set amount of money, you know, up front, but you want to make sure that you have the royalties, that you can be a part of the royalties on the back end. You know, you can work out the percentage layers depending on, you know, the person and how well, you know, they trust your work. And, um, but I'll definitely, definitely just encourage you to, always push for the best deal possible for you especially when it comes to getting your name out there and keeping it out there so always you know make sure you ask hey how far are you taking this is this just gonna be a book is it gonna be a series is this series book or a book series gonna go into you know any other entertainment form is it going in the stage places is it going in the movies because I want to be a part of that too. Even if I'm not a part, even if you're, you know, for movies, it's a little different because they bring in writers, depending on if you're going with a bigger type of district, you know, distributor or writing house, or they may bring in their own writers to do the script, but Hey, can my name still be a part of this as a contributor? And I, can I get royalties off of it, you know, and work that into the deal? Because with that, that's, to me easy money because then you don't have to do any of the work you still just listed as a contributor and you can still get paid right. so, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you get you still get those imdb credits you know yep, exactly <laughs> so you you have your name in different areas so like if you decide that hey i want to go into movie script writing well you're already a part of the industry because you have a credit and they can see that, and it's Googleable. If you know, I'm making, making up that word, hey, listen, Googleable. It's Googleable. It's in there now. They put twerking in the dictionary. We're putting Googleable in there. <laughs> Googleable. It's Googleable in there. I saw, you know, you, you're Googleable in more than one area. So definitely aim for the best deal possible in as many industries as possible because that's something that you don't have to work for later. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. So now I'm about to get on my meek and Drake tip. How do you okay. feel about, and you know it because you're a ghostwriter and not only a writer, and I, and, and, I, and I cringe every time I see a celebrity become a best-selling author, knowing damn well they ain't write that damn book. And it's crazy because, and I, and I bring up the perfect example. I was watching uh, Rick Ross, mm. shout out to Rick Ross, but whatever. Uh, uh, I watched his interview on, on The Breakfast Club and he <laughs> asked him about his book. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, I think, you know, Charlemagne, because he, 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 I think he writes uh, maybe 50% of his book or majority of it. So he's, every time somebody come out with a book, he always asks him about the book and the process of writing. And Rick Ross clearly stated, oh, I don't even know what's in it. 
He just I just told a boy and he wrote it. But Rick Ross is a best-selling mm-hmm. author. So I'm like, so how do you feel as mm-hmm. an author and as a ghostwriter about especially celebrities becoming best-selling authors um, when you know how much hard work goes into actually writing? It, I will say that does trouble me and it did for a long time. Like it, when you, when you're a writer and this is your passion, like this is what you do. It does bother you when you see a celebrity from a different, you know, platform, like, you know, rappers and actresses and actors and things. And they say that they wrote a book and they didn't write a single word in it. You know, they just basically told them the idea and the other person wrote it and they're a best-selling author. And it just adds to their resume. It does trouble you, especially because you know that being in the industry is hard and it's hard to get your name out there and it's hard to get people to dive in your work. And then I had to kind of just realize that that's a part of the times. It's still, you know, bothersome now. You know, you, you still, you look at it and you're like, you didn't write anything and I'm sitting over here working exactly, hard. Right. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm over here struggling and you're just getting the best-selling tag on there. But then when you start learning yeah. the industry, you learn different things. And so certain things start not to bother you as much because you know that a lot of times their publishing houses are buying their books, you know, so like in by the thousands. So it's easy right. for them to hit the bestseller mark because when they're buying all of them, when <laughs> they're buying all their books, you know, and it's like, okay, because you do get to wonder sometimes it's like, okay, I know they're a celebrity, but if you're not really that hot right now, then your book isn't flying off the shelves that fast. You know, it's a different, exactly. It's somebody like, Lord, we're we going to use Rick Ross because he we, we brought him up. But, you know, it's the difference between Rick Ross jumping to bestseller in one week versus Michelle Obama. You know what right, I mean? Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Michelle Obama, like, everybody was running out to buy this book. Like, right. it was, I, I promise you, I had never in my life seen an African-American book so in the shops in the airports. Oh yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> so hell I yeah. Michelle Obama's book. She killed I was it, man. Like, wait a minute, that she killed, she killed the game with her book. Her book was everywhere, literally. And I was like, okay, so you can see that. Right. And um, and she was beloved. She's a beloved public figure. And when she came out with her book, she didn't wait twenty years when everybody had forgotten about the Obama legacy. She Hop hopped right on, on it, train yeah, as exactly. soon as her husband was out. Of, like she hopped on it. So, you know, it's it's a little bit different in that regard to where you have like Rick Ross where you not saying that he's on a down scale, but he hasn't really come out with a lot of music, right. you know, lately. And he was going through some health issues. So when he came out with his book, it's like, okay, yeah, uh, you kinda know if you're on the inside, yeah, people buying up your book. I ain't gonna I don't wanna put that tea out there. Whoops, I might have spilled that, but yeah, your publisher right. might be buying up your book <laughs> to get you to hit that bestseller mark. Right. You also exactly. it's crazy. Man. Yeah. And it goes back to the the like I say again, it's always about the bottom line for the industries, the bottom dollar. They know that a celebrity is just gonna come with a different type of tag, you know? And so it's not that they even care that they're writing it. They just like the exposure because 
big names make them big money, you know, and it's, yeah. and, oh, it's yeah. and it and it hurt, you know, it hurts for us authors who this is what we do, you know, and this is what we love to do. And it hurts because you're like, okay, well, you know, what happened to giving us, you know, a chance to get out there and make the New York Times bestsellers list and everything, the only thing that you're focused on is memoirs and biographies and autobiographies for the celebrities (laughs) right Uh, so you know it does hit different but then when you kind of know that it's real but it does you know it's not really real on them then you you kind of sleep a little bit better because you're like you know what he didn't write this book so it's just something that was kind of thrown at him and you swallow it a different way versus at first when you kind of don't know the ins and outs of the industry where you're like okay how in the world did he get to me then you learn and you're like oh okay you know what he just is kind of gifted oh yeah (laughs) it's crazy like every every it just seems like every celebrity is just dropping a book now and then like right it does crazy i'm like all right but there's always one and (laughs) i'll say the right and i'll say the benefit of it is that now versus before um and I, will, I I guess I have to give a little credit to Steve Harvey on this. I think he was one of the first ones who like really publicly came out and was like, hey, um, I didn't write my book. <laughs> <laughs> this right. is who wrote yeah. my book. And even though her name was on the inside, exactly. it wasn't on the cover. But he, you know, and we never really would have known that. But he came out and he was one of the first celebrities who like publicly came out and said, I didn't write the book. I just basically, this is what I wanted to write about. I gave it to her. She wrote it. And so with that door opening, you kind of begin to notice and celebrities weren't bound so much now not to say they didn't write their book. Like, you know, we lost the hey, I, I write this. I just... I just gave him the idea, you know, whereas maybe t- 10 years ago or five years ago, even yeah, he would act like he wrote, he that would act like he wrote it word <laughs> for word. Like, like, what? No, you didn't. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right, right, right. That's true. That's crazy. So speaking of bestsellers, you are a best selling author multiple times, right? Um, Twice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's multiple. <laughs> yeah, it's so, right. um, possible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So how how was that? How was that feeling? Like when did you find out um your book was on the top of the charts? Like were you watching it? Um, or was it something like somebody else hit you up about it? Like when when did you find out and how'd you feel when you found out about it? Both times somebody hit me up. I am so nervous when my books are out. I don't even, I try not to even watch. I watch it now a bit more only because I think I'm getting comfortable with it. And I'm like, okay, let me just see what it's doing. But back then I was like, I don't want to know what it's doing. I just, you know, I just want to have it out there. And if it does well, it does well. And (laughs) I'm not, you know, not going to be pressed about it. But both times people hit me up and I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, no. And I was like, they're like, look, go look. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's crazy. And it was, it was a pleasant surprise. It was, I just, I was, I've always like extremely nervous when I put something out. So even now, like I said, I watch it a bit more now, but it's always like a couple of days later. I'm not one of those authors who are up at like three o'clock in the morning. The Just day the waiting. It's like, okay, <laughs> where did it fall? Where did it fall? You know? And I'm like, 
I'm like, you know what? It's out there. It, it'll do numbers. And, you know, if it's meant to do bestseller, it'll hit. And I just do the work and I try not to focus in on that part. Because that part to me, it'll drive you kind of crazy. Oh, yeah, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's, especially if you have, the, I would say, more than one book or a couple of books. You know, if one doesn't, you know, do as well, that can painful, be right, right. painful, you know, to sit there and try to watch it. So I've never tried to dive into that and just dwell on it because I'm always like, you know what? I wrote it. I put it out here and I feel like it's going to do well. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does. But, you know, I, I, I just try to shy away from that because I don't want to drive myself insane <laughs> trying to watch numbers. <laughs> So, also on that tip, put the celebrities aside because we already talked about them. There's been a lot of controversy lately involving two of the top, uh, one of the top or two. I don't know. Is they, they they keep lumping more publishing companies in it uh, in the urban fiction um, community, and the some some of the the reports that were alleged were, were that they were fudging numbers and uh, making their mm-hmm. authors uh, bestsellers because they were fudging numbers and then now Amazon's into it. They're investigating. They took books down and all that. How does that make you feel? You know what I mean? Because who knows when these drop, but your book could have been one of the competitors mm-hmm. that dropped the same week, same day. And to know that that people were cheating and getting to a rank. And then, like, does it feel like it watered down that title as well? Because people have been, you know what I mean, using fraudulent tactics to get that title. You know I mean, how do you feel about that type of stuff? I feel like it's wrong. I, I made a joke. I was like, yeah, I'm going to come up with a different pen name, search my numbers, and release the book, and drop it, and come back. <laughs> I, was, I, I made a joke, but I was, I was really joking about it. But uh, I just... Uh, to me, I, you know, it's like, you know. Oh, yeah, like, you, can, you can tell. I, I guess you can tell. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it didn't take me by storm. You know, it's like, I'm not surprised because yeah. you could definitely tell. If you've been in it for a while, you could tell. And it's something that I think, too, wasn't a surprise because it's nothing new. And I think that's what took a lot of people by surprise is that they felt like it was something new. And I'm like, it's actually not. And I will say, the yeah. reason why yeah. is oh, because yeah. a lot of people don't know that it's a lot of white authors that were doing it, you know, before. Yeah. And they've and now they've been under investigation too. <laughs> you know, they've made their coins and they've been under investigation. Right. But of course it hits different. To me, everything hits different when, when black people are involved, you know. Um the alleged and I feel like the this, you know, the disservice that I feel like it's going to do is that because with the two particular publishers, or it's, from my understanding, it's really one publishing house with a lot of different right. umbrellas. And yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> because there's so many African-American authors in the urban fiction industry that this falls under and it affects, I feel the disservice that it's going to do is that for those who are self-publishing, and that's even for me, because even though I'm signed to Urban, I'm still, I'm not exclusively contracted. So I still can produce my own self-published work, and I have. Um, 
I think that Amazon being the conglomerate it is and now and I'm not going to sit here and advocate for Amazon because they do some harsh things oh, to yeah. authors in the literary industry themselves. Um I think they're gonna make it difficult for people to be self published now. Mm. And even though it's something that's been going on for a while with white authors, because now it includes African American authors, especially under the urban fiction, and we always got this stigma anyway placed on us, I think it's going to make it harder for, in some type of way on Amazon, for you to become a self-published author in that particular genre. I'm not for sure what it will be, but I just can kind of foresee that it's going to bring some difficulties in and make it a little bit more harder for those authors to make those lists and earning the money through Amazon. And the sad part about it is, is that Amazon is such a conglomerate that it's hard to move around them. Um, you have other places like iBooks and Barnes and Nobles and all these places like that, but they're not making the dollars and they don't have the visibility right. as Amazon does. So in the long run, I think it's going to hurt everyone overall because I, I foresee Amazon putting a lot of stipulations in there now that they didn't before. That's going to hinder authors who are trying to be indie and self-published. And that's the thing that is going to be that's going to upset me and a lot of authors you know across the industry the most yeah i think i i think it's going to be a shame that people who legitimately earn that mm -hmm. title now have to suffer because of the nonsense you know what i mean you know in so many different ways right but right we just gotta wait and see how it turns out like what, what? we gotta wait and see like yeah it's like you know but i i feel like you know they People who earn the title and deserve the title, they should have it. But on the grand scheme of things, you know, I, I, I'm i more concerned about how it's going to impact the ability to even put the work out, you know, and especially with mm. Amazon. That's yeah, and, you know, they bought out CreateSpace. They buying up everything. You know, Jeff Bezos, yep. they lacking for yep. nobody's money. He buying up. I mean, he's even getting into the medical game. <laughs> this man out here giving you uh, Amazon Prime on your prescriptions these days. I'm like, good. You're right. They got Whole Foods. They, they buy Whole Foods. They, they buy every freaking thing. Everything you can think of that Amazon can ship and try to ship. They are into it. You know, put online, they are doing it. So, you know, they're about to monopolize everything. So when you have mm -hmm. a conglomerate that big and you know, especially with Kindle, that it's hard to get around, you know, them. It's... I, I worry about the impact that it will just have on the publishing period. You know, the ability to make them not only to earn the titles, but to even put your work out and be able to make good money. Good money, yeah. Through oh, yeah. Kindle. Yeah. So it's that's the part that's going that troubles me the most with it. Um, it's just not so much as, you know, having a title or even the one the authors who were a part of it because they can if they do the right things they can essentially come back out and put their work back out in different ways you know they just have to handle their business legally <laughs> uh, 
Right, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just that I know Amazon is it's about to shut it down. They're about to put some lockdowns on us that we have never seen before. <laughs> never seen before, right. Oh, my gosh. Can imagine, like, what steps you're going to have to take now just to put your work out there. Thank you. And like I said, they they bought Create Space, which was the other biggest platform as far as independent writers. I mean, you have Smashwords, and, but it's not as huge. At it's not all. The same. Yeah, not at all. And it's not the same. And before long, we'll be hearing about Amazon bought Smashwords. So I'm here. Oh, know. yeah. So gonna get, uh, once that happens, it's a wrap. It's like you literally are boxed in to go with nobody else but them. You know what I mean? It would be smart on their part, but it would be a shame for the industry. Right. Uh, if, the, if the investor is listening to this and they want to invest in me to buy Smashwords, come on, let's right. do this yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I want, you know, I put my plea out to Mackenzie Bezos. You divorced your husband. You want to start, <laughs> start something. To, I'm take with a you, girl. And compete Come with on, him. girl power. <laughs> we'll compete together. I got a business plan ready to go for you. <laughs> Just sign here. <laughs> so, right. Let me, let me get my coins and bow out. Right. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> so you were also a writer and interviewer for Swag Magazine, Kylie and South. How was that? How was that experience? Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, that was that is different. <laughs> I love writing the articles, the interviews. It was crazy to do an interview. I have mad respect for interviewers. I don't even know how in the world I want to go on the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it was um I think that was just worse on my love for authors. But the interviewing um was the most difficult part of it. Writing the articles, that was piece of cake. But the interviewing was a little bit difficult. Um, I you know, I was right. interviewing artists, you know? <laughs> and sometimes you mm. have to interview them when they're in the studio or, you know, they're out of location. And they're doing, so it was a little, it's hard to do. But I will say I enjoyed the experience of it because... I learned how to, you know, conduct interviews and I learned how to write um, magazine articles and magazine interviews. And that's something that I had never done before, but um, I enjoyed that experience. I will say, you know, and it was different and it was still fun because I, I got to learn firsthand knowledge from people themselves you know, about their journeys. And that was the fun part, learning and hearing about their journeys and the things that they were doing, how they, you know, signed their deals. And it, it, was, it was very interesting. And, and I would say, you know, you know, in the entertainment industry, it's, it's such a difference in the literary world and in the the music industry. So I got to hear some crazy stories. Damn. <laughs> I, I can't even, I didn't even think of that. I'm, I, I can't even imagine that the author record stuff you were hearing is in. <laughs> right, right. And the author record stuff was crazy. So I, those were the stories that you you get, and you're like, wow. <laughs> you know that inside information that was that was fun, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your favorite interview? Like, who was your the best person you interviewed, or your most favorite? Actually, my favorite interview, he is an indie um, artist, and his name is Pompey. And that was my favorite one to do because 
he was so down to earth and so real. And his interview spanned so much past music. Like we ended up, I have no clue, but we ended up talking about childhood <laughs> and his and his religion and you know his his family. He like we were talking about voodoo and he was telling me the history of voodoo. Oh, like it was it was a wild interview. Like he was the open book. And he was just telling me all, and it was like he was a wealth of information. And um, it, he's one of those people who you could sit back and just give him like a you little hint and let him he talk. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and you would just, and he could just go. He all go, and you would just learn all of these different things, and you would just ask like one question, and it would spark a totally different discussion. But he was so educated and so laid back that it was it was really it was a great interview. Yeah, that's, that's what's up. That's crazy. So we go about to jump right back into your writing. So I checked out a couple of the books. I read the I read the View, but I also um, checked out a couple of the other ones. Um, I see that you write in different point of views. Um, yes. Which one do you prefer to write in? <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, first person the best. Um, Why? Oh my gosh! You know what? Because probably because it's a little crazy. I think every author is a little touch. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I immerse myself so much into my characters that I almost like I take on their persona almost um, when I'm writing. Um, in order to really get into them. And that's why I think I like first person the best because I feel what the character is going through as I write it. You know, like I'm in that moment. And I always compare it to, if anybody, like if you've ever watched Into Deep, the movie Into Deep with uh, LLQJ and, um, like, uh, yes, when LLQJ played God in that movie and he was doing an interview and he said, you know, after he filmed, he literally had to like take a sabbatical, like for like three weeks away from his family, his wife, to come down off of it because he had immersed himself so much into it that uh. he had to pull himself out of the character, you know. And that's ten. I, I tend to be like that when I write, and so first person just speaks more to me because I immerse myself so much into the characters, like, and I have to pull myself away from them you know and out of that out of, out of who they are it's like you know i i'm around it like his one character his name is pooch like he's so far moved he's street and he's just you know he's really gutter and when i was writing his character I don't know, I like rap music but i was really into it really into it, like thugging it out you know what i mean and so I was like, after I wrote his his novella, I had to kind of decompress myself because I was like, you know, I was in this hardened mode. <laughs> He's out there ready to get it in, in yeah, the streets. Ready to get it in. <laughs> I want to go in the streets. <laughs> you know, Yo. I, I was like, I, my attitude was all different. I was like, you know what? Wait a minute. Let me, let me back up. Yeah, everybody <laughs> like, oh, what's going on, man? <laughs> going out these, so, going out these streets. <laughs> Yo, so how do you get into that character? Like, how do you, from somebody, like, how do you get into the different characters, uh, specifically that type of character? What gets you into that mindset? Like, how do you prepare to write for a character like that? Uh, 
music is the biggest thing for me. Now, I don't like to write and listen to music. I actually like it to be really quiet. Really? Right. But yes, like I, I think that I get inside my head so much that it just takes me to a different place. But to prepare for something like that, I have to be in a mindset first. So like I'll listen to, you know, music within like if I know I'm gonna write something street, I'm listening to a lot of street music. And or I watch movies, you know, that's dealing with a lot of street things that's going on. So that my mind is kind mm. of there. And um because you know, with writing and I, you know, to, especially if you're writing something that's outside of who you are, your everyday life, and even if you're going from genre to genre, like I tend to do, you have to kind of immerse yourself into what that genre is about. You know what I mean? So it's like to be able to connect to the life, the lingo, all of that stuff, you need to kind of connect with it in a, in a different way. Sometimes it's movies, sometimes it's, you know, music. Or I've gone even so far as to like talk to people who are in the streets and be like, okay, so what do you do when you do this? And what happens here? You know, like I, you know, I do, I, I do do that and I do research. So I actually immerse myself in it. And then when I'm ready, it's like when I'm writing, quiet. Because mm. I need to reflect over everything that I've just taken in. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> so you are the toy anthology um how was that how was that experience like like when you wrote that the anthology did you know the other writers that were going to be in the book i did not know the other writers that were going to be in like, the book um, was like some competition. i just i got the thing <laughs> no, and it was like and, it, and, it, and i think that's what made it better because i didn't know and it was like, you know, you it was part of one of those where they said, okay, this is what we want to do. And I think part of me being a part of the anthology was the reasoning um, behind it. It was more so, this is what we want to do, um, which it was during the time um, that Alton Sterling, you know, was killed mm. by police. And so it was we want to do an anthology about loving black men and just highlighting what black men mean to us. And the person who came to me, you know, with the idea came to a couple of different authors. We didn't know who all was going to be there, but just knowing what it was about and then saying that we want to donate the proceeds, you know, to like the NAACP to help with these cases and these families who are going through this um, police, you know, brutality and also, police killings it was like okay i'm in you know i i, I got you right, <laughs> I right, think, right. I, it wasn't even a second thought because during that time of course then afterwards we had philando castile i think before we even released it philando castile was um was murdered and mm-hmm. it was just um you know knowing being a, a mother of black boys and being married to a black man. Um, of course my father is black, you know, just being that person who, you know, as a black woman who has to shoulder these black men, it touches you in a different way because you're, you're always present, you know, in the thought that this could have been them. 
Oh, yeah. You know, and that's something that we live with every single day. Like, that is a constant on our mind, you know, especially my sons are now teenagers. And I am constantly, like, praying to keep them covered because I don't want to ever have to get that phone call. Like, this is what happened to your son because my kids are good kids, you know. And right. I, I know a lot of people say that, but they really are good kids. Like, you know, it's like, I, I yeah, but like, even, yeah, even if they, even if they weren't, even if they don't weren't, nobody deserve to die you know? or get killed. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, you know, they deserve to die. It's like, even if they weren't good kids, you know, nobody deserves to die for a sense and not period, but especially in the sense of, what ha- the, what tends to happen is the color you know, of their skin they, basically they do, you know what I mean? their color of their skin and they're not doing anything like they got okay yeah if you're out here wilding that you're doing something but you weren't doing anything in that moment and so the media tries to take everything in the world in the past and say oh but they did this and they were a part of this gang and they were oh, okay yeah, right. but he was walking from the exactly. store exactly exactly <laughs> he wasn't doing that you know then so it's like you know I, I always say you know it just those are the reasons it's like it, it really it it hurts and you it makes you angry and it always keeps you cognizant and it always keeps you like I always tell people I say you know be black is to always live in a constant state of fear uh-huh. for something you know it's like especially being black in America you always live in a constant state of fear it's like it's not a day that goes by that I'm not concerned you know about the well-being of my, you know, cousins, my brother, my husband, my sons, the moment they hit the door, you know, so doing a project like that was more than just, you know, doing it to be a part of something. It was doing it because it actually had a meaning and it meant something specifically for everyone involved, even though particularly the reason why didn't impact us directly, but it does. Because, like I said, right. any given moment, it could be one of us, and so yeah, hell yeah, yeah. It's it's that that portion right there was like, yeah, oh, of course, yes, and I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Did you let your sons and your husband read uh, the contribution and your father in that book? I did let them read it, and they they loved it. I didn't, you know, I told them I said I wanted to do more like a a letter to them. Mm. And that's what my contribution was. It was more like a letter to, you know, the black men in my life, just letting them know how valued they were and how important they were um, to me, even if society doesn't see that, you know, see them that way. Um, To understand that they are important, their role in this world and in others' lives is important. And I think that's where all of our black men fall down with law enforcement and just other races is that people just don't value them. They don't see their importance, you know, into the contributions of this world. And I'm like, that's what, you know, needs to be honored is that you all are valuable and you add value and you always have, and you always will. And that's crazy because I don't think that's talked about enough. You know what I mean? So, and the reason I asked mm-hmm. you, did you share it with them? Because I'm sure there was a moment where they either you guys had a discussion, they looked at you and you looked at them and you realized that they're reading something that they didn't feel, that they didn't know, like the value and importance. And that's so crazy mm-hmm. because even in, I think it, especially in younger, like the younger black males is like, 
they like you said, they just don't know their value. Like they just don't know how loved they are. They just don't know how appreciated they are. And the same can go with with the same for young black women and black women in general. But it's just crazy that we have to have these conversations. Just tell people how important they are. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. And and that's and it's like you would think like people would think you would know, yeah, your value. But they see and I think so right. much they're told that they're not valued. And they're told in such the either out you know, nowadays it's more direct because <laughs> people just don't care. That's yeah, a, I okay. would say that's a part of the Trump era, is that people are so outright that you're not valued. But it's been so indirect for so long. And we see it in a different way. Like, um, the incident with Michael Vick, you know what I mean? Like, um, he was convicted all those years ago, served his time for dogfighting, right? And now, years later, he has his, you know, he's done his time. He's developed so much into just creating this new persona of himself and giving funding and aid to, you know, the help the animals and against dog fighting and all this stuff. And he's going trying to do different things with his career. Like they wanted him to be in a pro bowl. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we want to boycott. We wanted this, we wanted that. And it's like, okay, well you're saying this about him and he's paid his debt to society. You know, you still want to come at his neck, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, Let's be for real. It's wrong to dogfight. But, you know what I mean? This man is a whole human. He's a human being. He deserves a right to make a living. He deserves a right to, you know, repent. And he he deserves his right. And it's like, okay, so you can't forgive him for something that happened years ago that he's paid his debt for society over a dog. And a dog is not a human being. He's a human being. You know, he has the right to, you should want to embrace him. So it's like the value even in that is like, okay, we 10 years later want to value these dogs' lives over you having the ability to provide for your family, for your kids. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? And And it was like, I'm related. It's like the Pro Bowl. Like, what the heck does that got to do? Why now? Because he's been... He's been doing the commentary, so why why all of a sudden the Pro Bowl was the big thing that people wanted to uh, boycott or cancel him for and, uh, it's, that was it's, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous, <laughs> and I think because anytime anything is highlighted, like okay, it, if it's under the table, because everybody's not watching, you know, like ESPN or Fox Sports and things to see where he's popping up at. You see what I'm saying? He's doing commentary, mm-hmm. but something that's highlighted and that's made public knowledge and in the public eye then they want to boycott, you know? So it's like when, even when he went to, he was going back into the league to become a QB, you know, you had all of these different cities boycott him. Philadelphia was boycotting him. It was business owners that was like, he couldn't even step foot into their business, you know? And it was, it was, it was insane. Like they were burning jerseys. And so I think it's just, it's just more so the things that are highlighted and brought into the public eye are what make them just kind of latch on again to the same story. So it's, even if it was the commentary that he was doing like on ESPN or um, over when he 
and I'm a big sports fanatic. So like when he goes over to uh, what is it, undisputed, sometimes he shows up there. So if things like that oh, yeah. were highlighted, um, then of course he he would still catch it. I think he would catch it every time he tried to make a move. But it's just more so because those kind of go under the radar that they don't, you know, latch on to it. But anything, of course, that's put into the public, that's meat makes the media, then it becomes a thing. And so now they've reattached themselves to this via the Pro Bowl. And it, it's, it's, crazy. it's crazy. And it's like, okay, this man has served his debt to society and he acknowledges what he did was wrong and what he was a part of was wrong. But you got all of these, and let's just put it out there, you know, we want to talk about animals in general because if you talk to, you know, certain race, they just say, oh, we have to protect the animals. I see nobody going this hard for these people who over here killing lions, tigers, and bears in Africa. Oh, yeah, that's know? okay. That's okay, though, because that's they got money. So they, that's okay because... Right. <laughs> but and it's not even like Michael Vick messed up again. Like, he's been... He's straight clean, clean. Ever, not even like a... I don't even know if he got a damn parking ticket since that <laughs> right. incident you know what i mean right like he has been so straight like he is he is the epitome of reform like if everything going right. to exactly going to prison was supposed to do if that's what it was supposed to do is to turn you into who michael vick is now then that would be the reason to advocate for having a prison sentence. You know what I'm saying? Because he exactly. is the most yep. reformed person I have ever seen. Like he, like ever you said, seen. he doesn't. He had. He doesn't even have a scratch on his character, on his anything he's done throughout his entire personal, professional life since then. And you still right. can't let it go. Like I just, you know, you you just don't understand it. You know, and I compare it to. Those same people want you to sit here and just trash and dog and drag Michael Vick. But then the same week you hear Trayvon uh, Martin with Trayvon Martin story where George Zimmerman is talking about suing the legal counsel and his parents for oh, yeah, yeah, the parents. you know, planting evidence against him about something that he did. You know, it's like... He, that he did. That he did. One of the things he did, because he was still messing up after that. He's been in jail, right. like, what, three or four times after the incident, but that's okay, though, because, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he, he didn't kill a dog. He so, didn't, like, right, he didn't so kill a the, dog, so it was okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay that he was able to cash in a, you know, a GoFundMe and become basically rich off of people donating money to him because he killed... Right. An innocent, you know, black teenager. And we want to stop and withhold Michael Vick from making money and being able to sustain for his family and doing, you know, doing a career that he has trained his entire life for because he killed it all. You know, it, it, those right. are the, that's that why I say man. They, got, they better try that again. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, and that's why I say it's like you, they've, they've been shown indirectly that their black men are undervalued like your life is worth less than a dog you know because mm -hmm. that's how we treat you and that's how, you know and that's how not us per se but the world treats you and you have people on the other end of the spectrum killing black people you have the lady cop that you know walked into the apartment and in the man's apartment killed him and 
people hugging her, giving her Bibles. I'm not even going to get off in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then um, you have, you know, like on the other end of the spectrum, you have George Zimmerman over here who killed Trayvon Martin. He's getting money. He's been to jail three or four times. And nobody is fussing and complaining or saying, you know what, we need to put a stop to this. It's crazy yeah. to oh, me. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to me. And it just shows you how underappreciated the black man is in America, you know? And and that's why I say, you know, doing the anthology was important because not only now are they shown or told directly that they're undervalued, they've been shown indirectly for years that they're undervalued. And I think it's important for them to know that about them and to understand that, you know, in the words of Tupac, you know, that we care, don't nobody else care about <laughs> so what do you what do you think about the cancel culture? Because especially the Michael Vick, I think that's part of this cancel culture that 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 society has now. What do you think about that? Is it is it something that's needed, or is it something that goes too far sometimes? It goes too far. It goes too far. I mean, even even the Ti situation, like the Ti situation with his daughter and the, and the whole Hyman thing, that was crazy. Period. Like. I, I know a bunch of fathers that will sit there and say, what? Either, either, what? I ain't doing it. Or they may say, they may agree with him, but I think personally that was a moment to educate him and not sit here and try to cancel him. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. I, and, I, and I'll say this, and uh, I have taken so much flag for this. <laughs> I really have. <laughs> I've taken flag for it, so I'll probably get some more flag. You know, I was one of the rare females who wasn't bothered by what T.I. said. I really wasn't. And I wasn't bothered for one reason I knew. And this was me knowing without really knowing before he actually said it. I'm like, he's not in the room with a girl with a flashlight. Now, come on. You know right. what I'm saying? And then right, I was right. like, and plus two, she's 18 now. Obviously, he's talking about something that happened when she was underage. You know what I mean? And I... And I say I wasn't bothered is because not so much of the fact that it had anything to do with him violating her personal space and her her body, but I knew it was more so a level of concern as a father. You know what I mean? Like you want to protect right. your kids, you know, especially your daughters. You know, these days and the age, there's so much stuff out here and you have so many people sleeping around and carrying so many diseases and you sh and we have to value our sons too. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's something about a father and a daughter, you know what I mean? Where he wants to protect, protect. his little girl, you know? Yeah, and, I, and I, in, in my heart of hearts, I felt like that's where he was coming from. And so that's why I wasn't so bothered by what he said that he was doing. Now, should he have shared it? Hell no. You Hell know? No. <laughs> Hell no. If anything, right. that bothered me the most. I was like, I know. It's, it's one of those things like, you know, when you have your kitchen table tall, it's some things that you stay at the kitchen table that you don't take out the house. Table, you know? Right. Exactly. And, and that was one of them. It's like, okay, y'all do this in the house. We just don't take that outside the house, T.I. Come on now. Take, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell like, no. You know, you, you keep that in your household. If that's what you do in your house, then you let that be in your house. You don't tell the world that. You know, I think he got caught up in the fact that he's a celebrity and he got comfortable sharing because yeah. celebrities yep. are open books. You know, and he got comfortable being an open book. 
And so he got a little bit too comfortable. (laughs) 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 And so he started oversharing. And I think that's when we have to learn how to back off. And it's like, okay, let's honestly take a for real look back and just say, is he honestly doing this and this girl is 18 years old? No. You know, getting well, he's not doing this since she's 18. You know, getting well, that whatever intent he had wasn't malicious. It wasn't as it wasn't as managed as it may have sounded. You know what I mean? And I, and that's why I say certain things. That's why I think cancel culture is just gone too far because with everybody being able to access your personal information and say whatever they want to say on social media and offer their two cents without giving any thought or reverence as to what the true situation is or what's really going on, then they create this firestorm that's unnecessary and it takes away from things that we really need to be having a firestorm about you know and oh, yeah, so oh, yeah. I just I feel like you know now it's just gone too far because if you give somebody a little bit of an itch they taking them out like cancel culture was re- taking it yeah it's like you know cancel culture was for things that were majorly wrong like this whole the Me Too movement with Harry Weinstein and all of these people who were taking advantage of these women and, you know, for right. all of these years for their gain or, you know, molesting young boys or young girls. Yes, you know what? I, I don't have any tolerance or patience for stuff like that, you know, or even, you know, the murdering of people. You know, yes, those are things that you should be sitting here talking about. Okay, yeah, cancel this person, cancel that person. Cancel this person, but, right. But, you know, somebody, a comedian can't make a joke without them being, oh, we want to cancel them. We don't want them to have a career anymore. It's a joke. Learn to laugh. Damn, you know? Right. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it may not even be how that person really feels. It's just something yeah. that's funny, you know? And I was like, you know, come on. The purpose of comedy is to be slightly inappropriate. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, right. It's always been that way. And that's why some people can't even separate it because it's always been that way. Exactly. And I was just like, you know, because they even tried to cancel Dave Chappelle, you know, after his his last. Oh, we ain't doing that. They got they to try harder than that. <laughs> it's like, it's still, and he, he said it himself. He was like, the you know, he was like, the alphabets are going to be coming for me after this. And he was like, you oh, know, the yeah. alphabets. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I was, <laughs> and I was like, it's, it's hilarious. I was like, right. you know, just learn to take a joke because it's not something that he obviously means. And even if he, did mean it. It's not like he's caring enough to make a true stance against it, you know? Uh, exactly. It, right. He's not sitting there starting a movement against y'all. He's, he's just right. making making jokes. <laughs> he's making jokes. And so that that's where I was like, you know, it's, I think they just need to stop it because it takes away from what we really need to cancel out, you know? And now everything is canceled. Right. Every time you say something, somebody's canceled. You, cancel. It's just cancel. like, you, they're canceled. This person's canceled. That person's canceled. I'm like, y'all ain't gonna be able to do nothing. You know? Nothing. <laughs> just, can't just, even breathe without getting canceled. Right. You can't breathe like you was breathing too hard and that offended me. So now we need to cancel you. <laughs> can't, right. Exactly. So speaking of cancel culture and second chances, are we giving out second chances to our industry people, the people in our industry that mess up? Or are we canceling them? Oh, man. It depends on what it is. 
<laughs> it depends on what it is. I mean, you know, and it and I think it depends on your repetitive actions. You know what I mean? To me, that's what a cancel culture is about. It's like we can redeem you, like you know, for certain things, and then if you repeat it, then now nah, we gotta, <laughs> you know, we gotta, we gotta do. But um, I mean, right. It it, it 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 depends on the to me as I get so many layers. It depends on the severity of it and you know what it was about. Like I I'm not trying <laughs> to cancel Kevin Hart for a joke he made, a homophobic joke that he made back in 1995. You know I'm not, I'm not gonna cancel right. him for that. You know he's grown, he's evolved, he's a different person. Um, but now. You know, it's one of those things if you're around here beating up on somebody or, you know, doing hate crimes against, you know, transgender or gays, then, okay, yeah, no, you know, yeah, you need to be canceled at this point. But I I just, I'm just not, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to be bothered by something you did in 1995 because people tend to forget. People grow, they change, they evolve, they leave no room for growth they leave no room for someone to evolve and it's it's like i i'm not even gonna be the same person i was two days ago if you <laughs> sometimes right. let alone so, years ago right it's like i mean and then sometimes you could be like a different person in a moment because you could have a belief you know what i'm saying of something and somebody will give you a different perspective and it changes everything you thought about changes you and right and it's like you know they don't they don't leave room for that so I, I, like I said, I feel like we should, but it also depends on the severity and what you did. Like, if you're around here, you know, molesting little kids, I, I mm, mm, you gotta, you gotta go. Mm, mm, you gotta go. I'm sorry. That's a hard stop. You don't get a chance to rehabilitate your stuff in my mind. I mean, I may be wrong, right. but I'm just like, no, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I draw the line somewhere. <laughs> That's that's where I draw my line. I'm sorry, I can't I can't get that. You, you can't be out here bothering babies and old people. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's, it's rules to all this stuff. Right, you can't cross certain lines. It's, it's certain you lines. They have a livelihood after that. Right, it's just certain lines you can't cross, and then feel like you could just kind of come back. Like I'm not, I'm not. You know, I might sit here and if person has change their ways and say I forgive you but I ain't finna let you run a daycare center <laughs> right exactly right it's not, it's not gonna happen still <laughs> keeping an eye on your ass <laughs> right you know I was like you know what yeah okay it's all you you, oh, you did that once 20 years ago uh huh but you still can't come over here and work in this school <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so boom Sticking on the sticking on the, uh, the, the subject of your writing, I see that you have books. Um, you linked up with other authors to collaborate on books. I've always wondered this, looking at uh, in terms of writing books with somebody. How the heck is that experience? Like, are you guys like, how the heck would that work? Well, first of all, how, how's that experience with you and the people you work with? It was fun. Now, I'll say I wrote, I've co-authored 
I'm in the middle of co-authoring a third book, but I co-authored two so far that have been published. Well, three, actually. With, with um, two different writers or was it with the, uh, JC? I know one was with JC. That's the one you got the sequel to as well, right? Yes. The one was with JC and one was with Timeless V. Um, I had fun with both. Timeless V is like my sister, so it was easy to work with her just because we already have established you know, a relationship. We are we are like sisters, you know, it's like blood couldn't make us any better. So it's just, it's, you know, that was just natural. For JC, it was a bit different. He approached me um, about it and I was like, okay, let me see, let me work it out and we'll have some ideas. But I will say working with him was absolutely one of the best <laughs> times of my life for really? It, it what, really was he was. new was was this his first book no he was not new he had um a series out himself he'd actually done a couple of novellas um he'd worked with Legil hunt before so he um he'd been you know in the game he's just he had not been as present he uh, it was more writing was something that he did more part-time and so now he's okay. more gearing up going into it kind of full time and you know full steam but he mm-hmm. um he was at he's very good i mean just phenomenal and i think to working with someone when you're co-authoring you have to be able to have some work with someone who has an open line of communication you all really can talk and mesh ideas and not only that but they have the same type of passion and drive for it as you do like you can't one person can't be gun-ho for the project and you know ready to write and then the other person is like oh i'll get to it when i do and i don't think whenever i get yeah when i get to it as long as you all are on the same wavelength as far as that's concerned everything else kind of falls into place and that's how we were like as soon as we came up with the idea and we would text each other all the time or call each other with ideas and you know bounce different ideas off each other so it wasn't even that we were sitting over here like, okay, I'm going to write this part and then you write this part. Like we, you know, converse with each other about our parts and even got to the point where we were comfortable after we, you know, done like the first cut. Like he would send something over to me and say, hey, I need you to add your flair to this. You know, or I would send something to him and say, Mm. hey, I I know that you're going to bring the action in this and I need you to, you know, add this part in. So we got to the point where we were able to even just trust each other, even in the sections that we were writing to say, if I need you to add something, I know that you're going to do it. So, and you're going to bring it. And so, and it was, it was hilarious. And we had our, our thing of kind of getting through was that we kind of almost got into a competition because we would, you know, I would write something and he would like text me back and be like mad about what the characters were doing. He like, oh, you gonna do my boy like this? Watch, I got something for your ass, you know? Oh snap! <laughs> Damn. So it it got you got into a friendly competition. So that made it a lot more fun. I will tell you that because then we started right. trying to one up each other, you know, up the ante with what we were doing. But it made the story that much better because it's like, oh, so this is what you're doing, you know. <laughs> And I, <laughs> and, and I mean, like, we get to the point, like, we would text each other, like, we would read something that he was mad about it or whatever. We text each other different gifts, you know, like that. 
It was just really, it was, it was really, we, it, yeah, that's crazy. It, it, it enhanced our friendship too. So like, we are like great friends after having written two books together. We are like just dynamic friends. And I, right. I had the time of my life writing those two books. <laughs> so did y'all know each other before y'all uh, decided to write or was it, did he just reach out? We knew each other as far as it is crazy. I tell anybody this, this is the weirdest thing to me. He and I actually live in the same city. We did not know this because oh, we snap. met online. We met online networking, you know, with author through different author groups on Facebook, I think. And just kind of talking back and forth and like, hey, um, I'm gonna support you and I share about your book. And I think it was one day he said I was somewhere and because he always said I was always going traveling different places, so he didn't know where the hell I was. <laughs> he said one day I shared something about um our city. He was like, Oh, you're in my city. I'm like, I live here. He's like, I live here too. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh snap, that's crazy. <laughs> so it was really weird. We knew each other beforehand, but we weren't great friends. We were just, you know, like we knew each other offline. And then when he reached out, right. then we became really good friends through the process of writing. How the how the heck did you know it was gonna work? You know, I didn't. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, he came with it. He was like, I really... One thing I will say is that I respected the approach. You know what I mean? Like he said, I've been following your work. I support you. And he'd been supporting. You know, he'd been... He purchased the book. He... One of my books. He shared my work. And so that's how we really became, you know, networking with each other. So... I trusted him enough because I knew that the support was there, you know, and I, as far as the idea, it was like one of those things, okay, look, we'll we'll write this one book and we'll see how it goes. And then if we want to do future projects later, then we can. And so we actually wrote book one, kind of, it ended, but we left room for a part two because we wanted to gauge Mm. how we like working with each other and how the readers would take it. And it's like, as soon as people finish, they were like, so when is part two coming out? And we're like, okay, yeah, we got to do this. He's <laughs> like, we got to do this, you know. But by the time we got to book one, in the book one, we were like, we were very open to it because he enjoyed, you know, how I worked. I enjoyed how he worked. And we worked well together. But I think the most important part is, is that in the beginning, we knew had some level of trust because we had already been supporting each other as far as, you know, in the literary industry. And I think that's another thing too, is like, if you feel like, you know, you kind of can gauge getting into something by how the person operates and how they've operated with you prior to. And I I do know that there are times where you go into something kind of blind and that's when you might have to outline the terms a bit more to say, okay, this is what we're going to have to do. You know, in order to make oh, it work. Right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I kind of had a kind of preliminary trust because I'd already kind of worked networked with him. Now, how did y'all that like the concept of character names and setting and is this all like worked out ahead of time? Are we giving and taking? Or are like, right, you chosen name? I'll choose this name and it's like like how does all that break down? Now, with the characters, it was when we came up with the concept of what we were going to write about. The character names, like 
of course, with the contract, the, because we're a man and a female, we're like, hey, let's just make the two, of course, main characters be a male and a female. And um, so we chose, like, I chose different female names, personal last names, and he did too. And we just kind of was like, okay, this, this is our top three. And he's like, which one do you mm. like the best? And so we kind of let each other decide which one we like the best. Like we gave our top three and then that person, you know, he came, well, this is the name. Is the, you like this? And I'm like, oh yeah, I like this name, this name. He's like, okay, cool. You know, he, we were both very easy to get along. It was not something that we were like, oh no, hard stop. Um, even when it came down to planning the story, like we had an outline of what we wanted to do, but if we, things changed a bit, we were both like, okay, hey, I got this idea and this is how I'm thinking about, you know, doing it. What do you think? And, you know, if it was something that we knew we had to work out because of how the story was flowing, it's like, okay, hold on, let me, let me see how it's going to flow with this first section, you know, or something. And then I'll get back to you. So it always was something where it was never a hard, you know, like, Sometimes like, people are just hard to work with. You know what I mean? And with right. either one of us, it wasn't that. It was always a willingness to try to incorporate each other's thoughts and ideas. And, you know, we always were open to taking the story, the characters in different directions. So it was never anything where it was like, okay, I, I can't. I felt like I'm beating my head against a brick wall or something. He was open. I was open. And I think that's a key factor too like you have to be willing to embrace each other's ideas as long as you know it fits the scheme of where you're you know your book flow and what you're trying to do but um you have to be willing to embrace each other's ideas and be accepting of each other's thoughts and in the process because if you're not it's just it's not gonna work did you, did you guys have like everything was it some of it was flowing or was everything set like oh you want i want this many words by this day and this many words we want this done by like how was that like the planning for the whole project now i would say this the planning part of it was basically we knew the plot um we outlined you know the main key points of the plot but we wanted to also leave room for creativity so all of that wasn't nailed down to a t we just made the decision that we would discuss it. Like if it was going to be something that kind of went outside of the broad scope of things, then um, we discussed it and bring it back to the table. Um, deadlines, we we discussed ahead of time. Like, so we, we were determined, we're like, okay, we want to put out a book in December. And so we knew it was like, okay, we have to have it done by this date so we can go to editing by this date, you know? And so those were our hard deadlines, but it wasn't anything where, okay, look, you know, and we're very cognizant. And, and that, that would now, I will say this, for some people, you might have to have a say, I need a set amount of words by this day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they could be procrastinating on you. <laughs> they could be procrastinating on you. But we never really had that worry because it's like, okay, once we decided who was going to start, like I started it out first. And I was like, hey, um, I'm going to get it back to you in like a week. And he's like, okay. And I, I was, mm. and when I gave it back in a week, it was there in a week. You know, when I said a week, it was there in a week. And I will say this, we were very, uh, we had an open line of communication. So if something was going on where well, we knew we were working on it, but we were trying to get it back so 
that like I can try to get it back so he can work on it or vice versa. But something came up. We were like, hey, you know, text or call. Hey, this is what's going on. I might not be able to get it to you by this time, but I have it to you by this time. And that's another thing. You have to be able to have an open line of communication. You know, you, they, you can't have a person sitting there waiting on something for three weeks that you promised <laughs> three weeks ago. And it's right. like, now they only got a week to get it done before it's supposed to go to edit it. Like, what kind of thing? You know, <laughs> no, we can't do that. <laughs> so, I mean, we you have to have an open line of communication. You have to um, have a level of trust and also leave room for creativity. And I think that was the biggest thing because by the end of, you know, the first book, like I said, we, we developed such a trust level. Like I could, even there were times when we threw curveballs in what we wanted to do with the plot. Mm. And he hit me up where I hit him up and say, hey, what about this? And it's like, you know, he got to the point with me. He's like, run it. <laughs> and it's like, I, you got it. I know you got it. He was like, we'll, we'll, we'll straighten it out. You know, we'll weave it out in the, um, in the editing process. But if that's what you want to do, hey, run it. I like it, you know, or, you know, even if it was something that we need to talk about, it's like, okay, well, I want them to do this, this, this. And it's like, okay, well, hold on, wait. Cause they were doing this before. It's like, okay, hold on. We might have mm. to revamp it, you know, but it was such a, easy communication and i i'm fully aware that you do not have that with everybody i've heard horror stories <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I have i have but i think it's just it comes it really comes down to communication and that's the biggest biggest thing so we're talking about collaboration if you could choose any author to collaborate with in a new novel in 2020 Anybody, like your favorite, your anybody, who would it be? Ashley Antoinette. <laughs> mm. I would collaborate with her in a heartbeat. As um, I admire her work. She is one of my favorite authors. Has been for a very long time. Um, when she was, even when she was writing with her husband, um. Oh, you yeah, they killed that court. freaking yes. cartel series. Yes, they did. <laughs> freaking yes, killed that they shit. did. <laughs> oh my gosh! And so I just, for me, when I when I read, and this is the thing, and I said this is why I said I could collaborate with her in a minute. For myself, I <laughs> when I read her work, I'll find myself even after I put the book down. You know, if I've gotten to a stopping place, I'm thinking about where the story is going to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> and right. so I'm like, and it, it kind of builds me up. I'm like, oh, I didn't see this coming. Or I did see that coming, you know? And I I will take the story in about 10 different directions before I even finish reading. I'm like, oh, okay. Pick it back up. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, but I admire her style. Um, and I recently finished reading her ethics series, um, mm. which... I will say by far is the best series that she has written out of everything that she's written. Um, really? It, it really is. And I, hats off to her. I, as much as I admire her writing, I can honestly say that she reached a new plateau with this series. Really? She really did. Damn. And um, so, yeah, definitely coming off of the ethics series. I would definitely collaborate with her. <laughs> oh, crap. 
So when it comes to oh, going back to collaborations and ghostwriting, were there any ever were any projects you ever like turned down? You're like, oh no, I ain't doing this. Uh, yes, there are some. <laughs> 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 yes, that that comes down to um, well, going back to you know one of the things that we talked about earlier, you know, your reputation, how you present yourself, how you network and promote yourself and, you know, how you are out in the public. It's just, you know, no knock. It's just certain people who I'm just not going to work with because I'm not tying my name to any and everybody. Mm. And and that is protection of me. It's no knock to them. It's a protection of me uh, because I just can't rock with it. And I'm always one person that tries to stay true to who I am. You know, I I don't ever want to be that person who just does something for the sake of popularity or for the sake to be tied to, you know, this clique or, you know, or just to to make a quick dollar. Um, I, I feel like in the end of everything, all you have is is your name and your brand. And. If I'm going to tarnish it, I want to at least tarnish it on my own. And I want to be tarnished because of somebody else. <laughs> I just, but I have turned some things down because it just wasn't the right fit for me. So, so you, have, you ever try your hand in screenwriting or playwriting, anything like that? I am actually, <laughs> this is hilarious i want to write um play on new playwriting but i have not dived into it but i am in the process of script writing so that is mm. something that i am learning right now <laughs> <laughs> how's that learning process like still uh, compared to because this is a big difference compared to writing a novel right it is oh it is so huge i will say that um whereas for you know with books you have to tell a complete story in order for it to be good you have uh-huh. to tell a complete story um whereas with script writing the majority of the story is told through the actor so it's more directional yeah. you know um you have your your lines um but it's more directional so it as an author is that having to pull back to leave room for the actor's creativity versus you trying to mm. force them into something. So it is it gets different because you have you almost have to undo what you know in order for it. But you still have to give oh, lines yeah. that they can deliver. <laughs> like you still have to give content that they can actually deliver. You, you can't just uh, you can't write roses are red, violets are blue and think it's gonna blow up. <laughs> You gotta have some good content. But you just can't, you know, you can't go into so much of the the imagery or, you know, the storytelling. They have to tell the story. They have to sell it themselves. And so that's probably the biggest part as an author is that you don't have to. It should be easier, but once you get conformed to learning how to do that, then it's almost kind of an undoing of it. So it gets a little difficult because, <laughs> you know, you, you have to realize that too with script writing, um, you have to turn these words into, you know, minutes on the screen. So you can't write 
so much that when they turn, you know, you turn around and you put it on the screen, it's like three hours. There's no, you know, this ain't the Titanic. <laughs> you got to three or four hour movies. You have to have, you know, fit it into that 60 to 90 minute time. Flight. So you have to, and, and that cuts down a lot of writing because you have to have more acting than writing. So that's, that's mm. the biggest thing. Let me ask you a question. As an urban fiction author, in your opinion, does the urban community support urban fiction enough? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> 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 I was about to say, I will say, you know, this is my thing on that. We've gotten into another trend that has seeped into the writing community. Um. And I really hate to sound biased when I say it. Oh, I hate to, but there's a certain level of kind of ratchet writing that's kind of coming out and creeping out in the literary community. Oh. Uh, (laughs) 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 Oh, untamed. Yes, yes, yes. There's a... I'm, what is it? It's, it's I'm having a baby by my oh. baby daddy's grandpa, sister, son's girlfriend that has roaches and his own. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title. Yeah, that's all I see. <laughs> I'm so glad you said it about this. <laughs> but yeah, there is a kind of ratchetness that's creeping out, and um, that is being tag to urban fiction which I Mm. actually hate because urban fiction really is not about that the the basis of urban fiction is basically African American and minority stories that are told fictional stories that are told about our communities and our lifestyle and things that we see every day so it's not like you know people kind of tag it to oh all of this other extraness and drama but that's not what it truly is you know and so you have this kind of ratchet just like you you know they've separated street lit from urban fiction because mm-hmm. right. street lit is something that is not going on like everyday life you're not you're not going down and seeing you know the drug dealers and the hustlers unless you live in the hood you know what I'm saying in the you, hood, you right. know you're not right. seeing that every single day that's not what your life is about you're not about every you know everybody that's black is not about that life you know but so that's been separated it's called street lit you know and so what urban fiction was tied to that at first and now that we've kind of broken away from that the go back to just saying urban fiction is a genre by itself and here street lit. Now you have this kind of ratchet writing that's coming out and that's being tied to urban fiction. And so what tends to happen is, is that as much as we, as the people say, we don't like drama, we love to hang on something that's drama filled, you know? And so that is the reason why I would say it's not, getting the support that it does because you have people who truly write urban fiction or people who truly like write street lit that's not have all of these craziness with the title my married to my gay best friend daddy you know all of this (laughs) and that is you know that is 
then when they they read urban it's like oh well it's not this enough for me or you know what i'm saying or it's not yeah it's like that's not what this is supposed to be about now i'm not saying that you have to dislike that you can like it or whatever but you know it's just it almost is as if we get in our heads that it, everything that we read is supposed to be this way and it's not, you know? This way. It's right. not this way. So that's the only thing I dislike about it. I always call it the curse of the... of the. Uh, I, I say it's a curse of real life. Um, the reason why MTV started this whole reality TV stuff, people forget that with the whole real life <laughs> series that they used oh, to yeah, do. Yeah, and yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, because uh, we got all of the housewives and the basketball wives and the football wives and the, and the dissident and the marriage medicine and all of that. <laughs> we got, we got <laughs> all of these reality non-reality reality non-reality TV shows and so that's where this kind of you know, sprung up from it. I I think I think then it kind of sprung up from that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now we are about to jump into your novel, The View. Yes. <laughs> oh, we about to get into this. We about to get. In. I'm trying to figure out where I want to start with this. Um, I'm not even gonna start up. I'm not even gonna start with this. With the uh, with this question. I'm gonna I'm go. I'm gonna I'm save that for the end. We're gonna we're gonna do that at the end. So, this book, it, this was good. This was good. I really enjoyed this book. Um, Thank you. The curves, the, especially the ending. Um, <laughs> we gonna we gonna drop spoilers too. If people ain't read it, that's their fault. You can, y'all can listen to these spoilers and then go and go read. Right. People kill me with that. They 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 like spoilers don't stop me from re- I, I, that makes me want to read something or watch something if you spoil like some of the spoilers. I me so too. how long did it take you to write this book? The view it took me about six months to write the view. Six months. Yes. Interesting. So this is what I like about the book. So you got Carly Sanders, um, who is a young successful black woman, um, senior executive marketing director for her firm. She's married to her husband, Michael, who owns a sports law firm. She has a best friend, Katrina, that's a a model talent scout in New York. He has a best, Michael has a best friend, Bryson, who has the, who is a partner at the firm. And then you have uh, Hudson Lewis, obviously, who's successful. He's not black, but He's still successful. <laughs> He's successful, and then and then in your story, it goes back and to, to give him give his background of being attra- like being attracted to the black culture, being attracted to the black woman. I think it's so. I, I enjoyed it because there, there were successful black people with successful careers, and how important was that for you to put in this book? Oh, that was like one of the highlights of it because I don't think we see enough of that. You know what I mean? Like we don't see enough of just, especially detailing. Like it might be a portion of it, but I tried to kind of highlight and center things around their careers and how they actually, you know, got to where they were. You know how they earned and achieved their careers, and so. 
I love black excellence. I do. And so writing about it was one of the things that was important to me. I, I think we need to be able to see that black people can do more than just sing or play basketball or football. And, and that's fine. You know, that, and we do that well. <laughs> but, we, <laughs> but we do a lot of things well. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Exactly. So what what do you think is your inspiration behind writing this book? Because for those of everyone who who doesn't know, uh, this story is about a black married couple who are basically new in their marriage. And in the first few years of their marriage, um, things don't go well. And then she ends up stepping out of the marriage. I don't even want to say stepping out because they were kind of like separated and but she ends up stepping out with someone else and then um, her husband ends up finding out about it. But it wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't the usual cheating type of scenario like that. It was really a, you really, I don't know, as a reader, you really watched their marriage basically crumble um, mm-hmm. within the pages and you you kind of felt bad for both of them you know what i mean mm-hmm. like even when she was doing what she was doing living it up uh, uh with her with the, with the next man you still felt bad for her because you knew it wasn't really it wasn't necessarily about him it was just about it was more so about her uh and the way she felt about herself and what she wanted out, out of a marriage and what she wanted from from a man mm-hmm. or uh, thought she deserved from a man so what inspired you to write everything i, I would say like it write that that type of book that type of plot that type of that that strong meaning behind everyone's actions in the book now i will say this this is the part that is so ironic to me i'm inspired by anything can inspire me to write so when i actually decided to write the view it was actually inspired by a picture it had nothing to do with the plot. <laughs> really? It was, it was a picture. It was a picture. Um, actually, it was a picture of the view from a hotel room. And I was inspired to write it. I said, I'm writing erotica. And so as I began to think about what I wanted to write and develop this erotic plot, it became important to me to tell a story. Because what I... I one thing that I will say about the erotic genre that I don't like is that a lot of people get it and they feel like it's just only supposed to be about sex. You know, it's just just crazy right. sex story. It has no plot, no meeting, no up, no down. It's just, you know, two people or however many people just hot and horny and getting it on. And I was like, you know what? Now nah, let's not do this. Let's actually develop a story. And I want, it was important mm-hmm. for me to to have a true plot. And then as I began to um, think about the elements that I wanted in it, I said, you know, let's, let's actually dive into a relationship type of situation. Yes. Sex and all of that good stuff will be a part of it, but I wanted to show it from how a relationship can truly go from being this very strong dynamic relationship to like you said, crumbling. And how quickly it can dissipate if you don't take the necessary steps to have open communication and to be honest and open with your feelings and what you're you're going through. Because even the best relationships as communication falters, as 
you start withholding information and start withholding feelings and starting kind of project what you want instead of allowing that person to tell you how they feel those things aid to the destruction of a relationship and when that begins to happen other people can easily step in and sometimes it's just a you know a quick fling and then other times they start providing you with those necessities you know they're replenishing what has been depleted you know, and so that is mm-hmm. the angle that I wanted to to show, and I wanted to actually highlight that because I wanted to just give a true story of about a relationship and not just something that was you know a hot horny snippet of you know just hot sex on the platter. I wanted to actually tell a true story about a relationship and how it can crumble and how you actually can lose it, even if it's a very strong relationship that's built on a solid foundation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's what it was, because I think there's no good way to describe this book <laughs> with, that will do it justice. Because if you sit there and say, oh, is it a, it's, it's an erotica, it's, it's, it has sexy scenes, it has this, this, and this, that doesn't even tell you half of half of it and then even if you go on the other end oh it's about a married couple the woman ends up stepping out the husband ends up finding out that doesn't tell you half of it you know what i mean right so i feel like it's so many layers to this story um that was it was definitely well written i must say uh it's dope it reminds me of it's another uh writer that i'm i I follow on social media that uh brooklyn mosley yeah She's like that with, with her writing, her erotica. It's not just erotica. You're not going to pick that. It's stories behind it, and that's dope. And I can actually picture y'all two writing a book together, this this type of book together, because it's very similar, very similar. I'm not even going to say writing styles, but very similar styles in terms of I'm not just going to put out something that's erotica, that's freaking pound, ground and pound. It, it's, it's a story with it. So that, right. that'd be definitely dope. Um, but... As a married woman, <laughs> I'm sure your husband read this book. Did you get the side eye when he was turning the pages about this? Like, how, please tell me how, what his reaction was when he read the story. He was like, you know, I always tell him, you know, what the story is going to be about. And he's like, okay. And then, I, um, I, you know... It was it was hilarious because he knows how, right? He knows that I'm always going to tell a complete story. So even when it came down to the breakdown in the marriage and, you know, Carly stepping out, he wasn't surprised about that. Now, I, I started getting the side eye. Like, I'm, I'm going to spill this tea. I got the side eye when she had that threesome. He's like, say, who now? <laughs> Right, where you, where you get that idea from? <laughs> what she trying to tell me? <laughs> You know, right, right, right. It's one of those things where I know this is strictly imagination. Don't ask and we're not trying, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's like and no, that has not happened, you know, on you. And he's like, oh, okay. See, you know, that's one that kind of raises eyebrow, like, uh, wait, wait a minute. You know? <laughs> he's like, you know, one thing I will say, especially when you're a married person and you're writing about married people and you start diving into, you know, some sexual content, you know, your partner will say, look, uh, people going to start wondering if that's what our household is. Oh, hell yeah, they're going to be wondering. Like, what the hell are they doing in their damn house? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
No, no, this is strictly creativity. It's strictly creativity. I, I promise. And you a PK too? Yeah, they right. really going to kill me. Riley's like, no, this is oh, creativity. Man. You know, and it's like, you know, then of course they'll wonder, like, okay, well, if it ain't going on now, what happened before you got married? You know, it's like, no. Right, you know? right. It's like, no, I, like, I got friends. I have people who I can talk to about things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's also crazy because you say you got teenage boys, right? Yes. How old? Um, seventeen and thirteen. <laughs> oh, you got a you got an almost adult. Yes. I saw this one time an interview with Lala, and they asked her about um her son. I think I don't even know how old he is. I think he's like I think he's in high school. He might even be a little bit younger. And they asked her, uh, you know, she always on power with her titties out. <laughs> so they, they always ask they asked her like did she let him watch the show and she responded like no or something like that but i forgot what show it was but they didn't believe her because you know what i mean it's, like, it's on the internet like that show is all over the net so i know I'm, I, I hope your 13 year old didn't read it has your 17 year old read any of your books <laughs> <laughs> like like them. um the 17 i would say um my 17-year-old son, he did read uh, my novella just recently, um, which was King Sweet. Um, that's the only one. I had not let my kids read it, only because I knew the content. It's very, first of all, it's right, right, a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and they knew, like, I, I told them, I said, well, you know, my content, they've asked, you know, before, well, why can't you read your books? Now, I'm very candid. I'm like, well, my <laughs> first of all, it's cursing in there, which I know you hear, and then the sexual content, which I know you all are aware of, but I am not going to be the one to distribute that to you, you know? Right, right. And so, <laughs> they're like, okay. And then it kind of gets a little weird for them, because they're like, yeah, I don't think I really want to read it because you're my mom. You know? Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Oh, it's going to be real awkward when they had a conversation with mom right. on these freaky books. It's like, mom, mom, like, what's going on in your head over there? So I think, you know, with, with them knowing that I wrote it, well, you know, and then, and then knowing what it, had, what it has in it, it kind of, you know, distance them from it anyway. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> you know, I know they may want to, but um, like my well, I have a daughter too. She's 18, so oh, she geez. uh, yeah, she 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 read. She's read too. I don't think she's read The View yet, but she actually purchased it. She was like, ah, you know, I don't want you to give it to me. I got my own money. I want to buy oh, it. So she bought it, and I don't know if she's read it or not, but I know she read the other two, and so she's like, I love it. She was like, she tells me, she's like, I love it. She's like, you know, I, I view it a bit differently now that I'm 18 and kind of, you know, I'm out of the house in college. She was like, <laughs> she said, um, I think it's the point that she's off in college, so she's able to read it, so it doesn't feel like it was written by mom. Right, right, yeah, she's not right up under you. <laughs> yeah, she's not right up under me, looking me in my face, and she's reading it like, right. okay, mom, it's not talking about mom. <laughs> and shout out to your daughter for 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 supporting you. Like that's that's what family's supposed to do, as we all know. Right. All family, all family don't do that. They got their hand out for the. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I will say that she she really so she shocked me with it because I have no problem. Of course, my 
my kids, like my sons get older, of course, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, I have no problem just say, oh, here you go. But she was like, no, no, I want to, you know, I want to buy the book. And she did it when she bought the view. It was really special for me because she bought it at a book event. Mm. And she was like, I don't know. She was like, I got my money. I want to buy it. And I was like, that is the sweetest <laughs> thing. You sit here and, you know, I was like, and the book is in the house. You can go just pick up a copy anytime you want it. And she's like, no, I want to support you. I want to buy the book. I want you to autograph it for me That's and hot. everything. That's dope. So I, that was that was really cool. I was it, That will always be one of my favorite moments. Oh, that's ever crazy. <laughs> that's dope, man. Did, did your dad read it? <laughs> now, now, that's the one he hasn't read. And I told him purposely that I didn't. You know, you know what's crazy? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's going, it's, it goes there, for, it, it goes there, uh, erotic, like on the level of erotic. It goes there, but him being a preacher, it is a very, 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 very good message in there regarding marriage and, faith and it, it's a very good message. So I said this book is like it's so many layers to it but it's a very good message this is like a book if especially in today's generation with, with so many of uh, the younger people being more independent in terms of uh, controlling their destiny I would say they're, they're so um, focused on starting their own businesses they're so focused on uh, succeeding in their careers and, and, and not starting families right away like like uh, previous generations have, I think this is a very important book uh, for for even them. You know what I mean? To see what happens when the communication breaks down on certain right. subjects within the marriage <laughs> and family building. Exactly, and I and the only reason oh, yeah. I told I told my father I said it's a good message. <laughs> I said it's you know it's a lot going on. But I said but the only thing is. <laughs> You know, when you get to that other side, he's like, you know, I said, you know, I can deal with a lot of because even in, you know, like urban fiction and even in my action, you know, thriller that I co-wrote with JC and um, the crime thriller I wrote with, you know, Thomas V. Of course, it has sexuality in it and, you know, sexual content. But um, <laughs> it was just so potent in the view <laughs> that I was just like, you know what? Because of that, <laughs> you know, and I even he he even said he, like he laughed. He's like, "Well, your first book had it in it." I was like, "No." <laughs> so how do you so so in terms Don't of the rock? I know we discussed the street lit and and breaking down, and getting into the character for that. What what where do you get your inspiration for for the obviously the sex scenes and things like that? Because as we know, it's like it's only like you know what I mean. It's it's. Everybody can write sex. <laughs> Listen, it is not for everybody. Some people just need to stay in their lane. <laughs> so, like, where do you like it's, get the inspiration from the to, to make yes. such detail scene to make the reader feel like they're actually there and they're experiencing as well? I, you know, honestly, I think being married and having this type of relationship where you can talk to your spouse and, you know, you discuss different things, it, it helps a lot, especially when you're writing about a married couple. You know what I mean? Um, it helps a lot. I'm very, me and my husband are very candid with each other. You know, we talk about a lot of stuff. Even if it's just that what we do, we'll talk about different things, you know, that we see here. You know, we watched 
all kinds of craziness and we actually can laugh and talk about it. And so just even that part helps. And again, I will say my biggest inspiration into just getting into writing those parts are is music, you know, and you have to really listen to now for true deep rock like that. You really have to listen to, um, stuff that is very intensely sexual you know what I mean and so it can't be like oh just the cute love romantic songs you really have to listen to those as they really go there you know so I always say like for example like um and I love that kind of music like um, Boys and Men had a song called Uh All the Remix <laughs> not regular Uh All uh, uh, the Remix you know <laughs> and it's like if you listen to the lyrics, you know, you listen to like if just getting with mm-hmm. modern times, Sierra's body party, you know what I'm saying? And stuff like that. Those really sensual, sexual songs, those are things you have to hone into because those will put you in a mindset because they they don't just if you listen to those songs, they're not just talking about the feeling or the emotion. They are actually <laughs> taking you into the moment. You know, and so you have to have something that's going to pull you into the moment. And that's always, and that's why I said, I think I always need silence because then I reflect over it and I'm able to just kind of relive or, you know, re-dive into the moment of what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And so that's, you know, a combination, just my, my candid conversations and, you know, things that are talked about, seen, and listened to, I always hone on that stuff when I get ready to write. And so I think that helps me a lot to really bring the message or even if it's, you know, the sex scenes, it just, it brings it out in a different way. Mm. There was also a lot of original poetry in this book. Um, What was the inspiration behind the poetry? Um, Portia's my first love. With the view, I I wanted to. That was my time to just kind of bring everything full circle. Once I got, I said, you know what? Let her write poetry, and I, I Portia was my first love. It was how I got into writing, and so, ironically, most people don't know me for poetry. They know me as an author. And that's not how I started. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to incorporate the poetry into it because I never would have gotten to writing novels if it had not mm-hmm. been my start for poetry. And that is always my first love. It will always be my first love with writing. And so I really wanted to bring that and incorporate that into my novel writing. And so that's where it came from. But ironically, I did not write the poetry, majority of the poetry for it. I felt like I was giving so much of myself into the novel that I wanted to actually get a fresh perspective. And really? so I asked someone else to write the poetry. <laughs> and who was that? Um, I asked um, Tammy Bella, who goes by Miss Petey, to write the poetry. I wrote one poem for it. I did. That was it. But she wrote the majority, and I actually asked another author. She had already written this poem. Um, 
And I actually put it in there. She the the character didn't write it. She just said that it was her favorite piece, which was um Keanu the name. Right. It was called Cherries and Cognac. Right. And I asked her, Can I u- use it? Because that's one of her poetry pieces and I fell mm. in love with that piece. And she said, Yes. <laughs> and I that said, Thank dope. you. <laughs> and so I asked Tammy, would she write? And she said she would. And She's another person I've always respected her poetry. She's like a sister to me. She loves to write. She's very creative. And I've been, you know, privy to some of her writings before. And I was like, you know, she would be the perfect person because I know that she can really dive into this. And another reason I asked her is because she was the one who shared the picture that inspired the novel. So I wanted to incorporate her in it some way, and I felt that was the best way. What was ironic is that it turned out to be one of the best decisions I made because I just basically told her surface level what the novel was about. This is before it was even completed, and I told her surface level what it was about. The poetry that she came up with was so in line with what happened. We were both in awe. Like each piece That's basically crazy. took you through a different phase of what was going on in Carly's life. And she had not read not one word of the novel of what was happening. Did she write Carly's um the first poem at the end of the book, Carly's View, the one the one that described the uh the the penthouse, the view from the penthouse, and how she was feeling. She wrote, she that, wrote poem? that poem, and she did not read the without reading, without the, book. reading the book. That's <laughs> and cr- I wrote that was like so spot on, <laughs> and it was that's why we were like it was so uncanny because she wrote it without reading the book, and I had written the book without reading the poetry. <laughs> mm, I was just about to ask what came first, the poetry or the book, but it was like I guess they were simultaneous. <laughs> they were simultaneous. They were simultaneous. <laughs> And it reminded me, and having a poetry at the end of it reminded me of, you know, like the Marvel movies at the end, you get the, the scenes while the credits are rolling. Yes. That's what it reminded me of. It's like, you you literally would have thought that it was written after the book and it was in line with the book, like, because it was so on point, especially the view. Like, even her describing the view, I don't know, it was weird. It was like, because mm-hmm. you got her perspective of the whole relationship and everything that was going on, but hearing her, like, the poet the po um the poetry behind it it was like oh snap it's a different perspective about the same it's like the same person the per- same person's perspective but it's like in a different way so that was dope especially that, that one was crazy when I read it right yes I I I just we were so it is so uncanny like we still don't know. We just right. figured we chucked it up and say it was destined to be, you know, because I had, when I, when she sent me the poetry and she was like, okay, I'm going to send it to you. By now, the the novel is, you know, it was like 90% done. And she said, I'm going to send it to you. You let me know how you like it. And if I need to change up some things, I will. And I called her and I was like, you will never believe this. And she was like, but I said, every piece that you wrote was a hundred percent in line of what was going on with this book. And you didn't even know like 80% of what was going on. You knew yes, surface level. That's unbelievable. It is. It was like, I, we were, we're still in awe about it. I, I can't, I, I just, 
it gives me chills even thinking about it. I was like, how in the world did you know? Were you over here listening? To- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, were you, were you peeping in on me or something? I was like, but it, but it, it, it just it worked out fantastic. <laughs> that, is, that is unbelievable. Like I can't, I can't even believe it. Just listening to that. <laughs> um, man, I was going to ask for you a spiritual person, but that's before I found out you was a PK. <laughs> so, uh, the one, the one scene that stood out to me, um, I don't even know if it was supposed to, but when Carly, when she was done, when she was done and she came back, I think this was after she, uh, slept with Hudson. I believe it was after she slept with him. And it was a scene where Michael was going to church and he asked her, like, why aren't you going to church? And then she was like, oh, maybe I'll go next week. Mm-hmm. That At that moment, it seemed like she didn't only turn her back on her marriage, but she also turned her back on, the, on like, church and her faith. Like, how much, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. you being married, especially you being raised within the faith, how much are those things intertwined without people even noticing? I think they are absolutely a hundred percent intertwined. Um, because you think about it, when you're if you're married and you marry someone who's in faith and you're you're faith believing, then you know, our faith tells us that we're able to endure all things in our relationship. And in you when you're going through troubles, you you feel like in a sense, it's the failure in that you, you're not able to. And so even you, we're human. So we kind of, we fall short and we know that we're going to fall short. And we know that God is forgiven. If you're faith-based, you know God is forgiven. But it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't feel, you know, you feel like you let God down. You let your partner down. And so the first thing you want to do is kind of shy away from it because you don't want those imperfections and those failures to be highlighted and to be seen, you know? And it it, it is, you know, it's especially if a marriage is crumbling, it's embarrassing and, you know, it, you don't want to be around people sometimes who are telling you, oh, well, you can do this and you can make it work and we can help you, especially if you're getting to the point where you're done, you know? So people don't understand it's like it's very intertwined in that way. So um, and you t- and if you take it out of the context of the book and you go to, you know, like just go to a church where you had a couple who started out in church together and their marriage fails nine times out of 10, either both of those people end up leaving that particular church or walking away from that faith or, you know, one person stays and the other person doesn't, uh-huh. you know, they, they leave the congregation, they leave the flock. And, and, and it's all because, you know, that level, there's a level of embarrassment there, of course, sure, because nobody wants to be around, you know, feeling like people are saying, Ooh, you know, look what happened to their marriage, you know, talking about the behind of that. Um, then too, you know, you have to have your time away from the person because you're not together. You know, and 
seeing them in a place where you're supposed to also be given reverence is kind of a direct conflict because sometimes those feelings are not always good. Sometimes you're mad and you're pissed off and you don't want to be sitting in church trying to praise the Lord and you sitting and you shooting daggers at your ex, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) I was supposed to be loving on everybody, but I can't stand this Negro over here. (laughs) You know, know, he's like, I can't stand her. You know what I'm saying? You know, so that's another thing too, because your faith forces you to into forgiveness and into into love and you're not gonna always do that when you're not in a good place with right. the person that you're supposed to be with <laughs> exactly then my sec the second uh most powerful uh part of this book was the beginning when Michael gets mad at Carly for not being pregnant when he had the, the surprise dinner yeah. <laughs> it was so crazy just reading that. I, I, we, we're talking about like it happened in real life, like these two people. <laughs> it was, it's so crazy reading that because I don't know. I think it plays into the current climate of the whole mindset of men, what men think the role of women sh- should be because he was like, you worried about work. And you you need to be worried about having children. It was like wow, like you talking about. We want to talk about cancel culture. He'd have got canceled. <laughs> yes, woman. Michael have been canceled all over. <laughs> so how like how relative was that when writing it, or like did it? I don't know because it's it's so everything's so subtle in this book. But it's like damn, it's it's so subtle but so powerful. But how like how important was it to get that in there to basically, I guess, establish with their marriage, establish a crucial point in their marriage at that point? That was, it was very vital because, you know, just being honest, the, the breakdown of them surrounded the point that he was ready for family and she wasn't. And he felt that she should be, and, and this is the crux of, the story when it comes to marriages. So even in marriage, you're one person, right? But you're two individual people. And because you're one, sometimes a person can feel like, okay, because we're one, we should be one on everything that we want in life at the same time. And you have to understand that this person is one with you, but they're still an individual. They still might not be there to what you want to do and to set the one open to to these new levels and these new steps. And she wasn't, you know, she was in her career, which is one thing that I really want to highlight. Cause a lot of times, you know, women get the rap for wanting to have the kids and the family and stuff and men don't. And it's not always that way. You know, you have women who want to actually achieve their goals in life and they're not, you know, they, they want to, they're not ready for a family. And so it was very important to highlight that part because you have to learn in marriage to grow together, you know? Um, And sometimes that means you have to wait for that person, person's growth. You know, you can't force them to just be where you're at in life because you're there. You have to kind of grow through it and, and, and live through those trying times and those growing pains. And then on the other side of that, 
you have to respect where a person has grown and try to give an understanding to where they are in their life and in their mentality and in the marriage. And I think that's a lot of the breakdown with a lot of marriages is that you don't take the time to first appreciate a person's growth within themselves and within the marriage. And then you don't also take the time to allow the other person to grow because just because you want that for them doesn't mean they're there. And that's, that's the biggest issue that they had. And though they loved each other, you know, and that was evident and that they had, they started out strong. They started out, you know, at the same place. And as years go by, you, you grow differently and you, you come to different understandings at different times. And you have to work through that in a marriage because even though you're one, you're still individuals. Mm. So when we, when you break down the view, the book, what are some of the, because I know as a writer, we go through the ups and downs of how we want these stories to go, how, what different endings, what are some of the changes that were, that could have been made, like directions that could have gone that were in your head before you chose the way it ended and the way things went? Like, did you always know she was going to get pregnant or uh-huh. did you think it? <laughs> like, what are some of the other things you thought about doing in that story? Oh, man. Um, for that, I did not always think that she was going to get pregnant. That's when I kind of tossed back and forth, like, am I going to let her get pregnant? Is she not right. going to get pregnant? You know? And I I came up with that simply because I wanted the other twist to come out. <laughs> in the end, now I'm going to get out of the way with Michael. I wanted the other twist to come out in the end with Michael. And I was like, well, the only way to really do that is to uh-huh. let her be pregnant. You know? And so, to let her go through that trial. And I also with her, you know, becoming pregnant because she didn't want to be pregnant. She didn't want a family. I wanted her to actually go through that experience for her to actually, as a character, understand that because she was also becoming a mother, Mm. it didn't take away from her career either. You know, like she could actually learn to be a mother and Mm. love a child and still have what she wanted. So that was an important point for that she had to grow through as a character as well. It's like, you know, the entire time she was looking at the child as a hindrance and where it's not, it's just an addition, you know? Wow. I didn't think about that. And so that gave, that could give her, you know, an understanding of to where Michael was. Mm. So the view, what made you make this book a standalone rather than, a series or, or are you thinking about doing spinoffs? So Cause this, this could have went, kept going. <laughs> so like, what was, what's the mindset behind that? So, so the view is actually going to be a part two. Too. Oh, snap. There we go. <laughs> there be a part two. I'm working diligently on a part two. Now it will only be a part two. It won't be part three, but there will be a part two. Um, because there are some other revelations that have to mm. come out <laughs> that were not um, brought into the forefront. Because um, I will say this, and I, and I know for the people who have read the view, I have gotten threatened, you know, by those people who are Team Hudson 
to, you know, not mess with his character. But throughout yeah, all but... this, has been a bit unscathed, and he's gonna get a little so he, um, look too. <laughs> I don't know if he went unscathed. I don't know when when that when that when that event happened. I was reading between the lines of uh of the ex. I was like, she wasn't. She was throwing some shade out there. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, he, he did get a little touch. He, he was a little touch. He wasn't as touched as Carly and, and Michael, I will say that. So, right. But he, um, he, he gets, um, yeah, <laughs> I can't get that part away. But yeah, he'll, 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 it'll be some revelations. In, in part two so there are some other revelations some other truths and things that we didn't know because I mean at the same time I will say this there are consequences when you step outside of your marriage so and you know what's crazy <laughs> I've read this and was like this is like the first book that was the grass was kind of greener on the other side mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess not <laughs> <laughs> I was saying it's like it's it's always greener, you know. At right first. in the beginning. <laughs> Damn. Okay. 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 See, that's what I'm talking about right here. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so now, you mentioned earlier, like three hours ago, <laughs> we all deep into this. We mentioned earlier. Uh, this is actually going to be turned into a film. Yes, it will. It will definitely turn into a film. <laughs> Now, so what we're going to do is we about to we about to cast for the film. Okay. Real quick, <laughs> so you give me Carly, who's who's playing Carly? If you got the, um, if you got the the million dollar millions of dollars of budget, you can choose any actors and actresses you you want. Who you got? It is funny. Now, I I would say this, just strictly, you know, based off of look alone, I would say Carrie Hilson. Mm. She hasn't done a lot, but I honestly think now, you know, that she's grown and matured a bit, I think that she can pull it off. I think she can. I, I, I'm going to have faith in Carrie that she can pull it off. <laughs> So who are we going with for Michael? Michael is, and I have to, I did think long and hard about this one for the longest time, but I'm go, I just have to go with Idris Elba. I know that mm. he's, he's probably one of the more popular ones, but he is so versatile. Like, yeah. he's one of the most versatile actors that's out there right now. And I think, you know, by him, Michael went through a lot <laughs> in this book. Oh, yeah, you know? oh, yeah. he, he he was like, you know, the one end he was a good Christian, and then he wasn't, and then he was, you know, the doting husband, and then he wasn't. Like, he went through so much. I have to have someone who's versatile and able to just handle those shifts and dynamics in a character, and I think that he would be best for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Katrina, the friend. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Actually. Let's see. Katrina the friend would. I can't think of her name, but I um and this is probably a more of a look too. <laughs> um, 
this is uh what was her name oh my gosh she played in um fast and the furious she played um uh the the hacker oh. in fast and furious um uh, the oh my gosh tyrese and uh Ludacris were fighting over her and, oh, i can't even remember <laughs> in the last one oh my gosh what was her name um parker what's her name parker I think her name was Parker. Parker. Um, in the in that film, I wonder was it Parker? Um, Let me see this cast. Hold on. But I think she was the last uh, one. Number eight. I, I don't know why I want to call her Parker. Number the one with um. Well, I think she was in seven and eight actually. But um, she was the hacker, the little hacker. Oh, Miss Lacey, I'm trying to think. <laughs> with Parker. She was uh, with the curly hair. It's and, light skin chick? Um, she is light skin. Yeah, uh, she's light say, skin. Say, curly uh, hair. What is it? Nat- Natalie Emanuel? She's from England. Natalie. Not, yes, she's from England. Natalie. <laughs> Natalie. Yes, Natalie. Yes, that's her real name. I cannot remember her name in the movie, but uh, you know where I get Parker from? And because... <laughs> At the end of the movie, I think it was number seven, when um he says, I know what your last name gonna be, it's gonna be Parker. And it was like, Hey, oh, it's snap. Parker. <laughs> <laughs> oh snap. Dang, so we got Okay, we got uh, her. Yeah, oh, her. how about Bryson? Oh my god. You know what? Bryson is definitely run Rico Lee. Uh. <laughs> Definitely run Rico Lee. Yeah. <laughs> and that last but not least, Hudson. Oh, Scott Eastwood. Oh, snap. It's crazy because you had the description in there, but I'm like, it's so many actors out now. I wonder if you'll change it. Your... <laughs> Look, no, Scott Eastwood. I was thinking with Scott Eastwood on that one. I mean, if I had to go, you know, somewhere, it probably, Brad Pitt was younger. Yeah, I about to say. But, but you know, I, I, Scott Eastwood um, is who I would choose. And actually, you know, I will say this too, because Carly's parents um, were in her life heavily in the book because Mama Pat gave her pure hair about her decisions and I was like I even in my head I thought about those two and for her mom definitely Lynn Whitfield definitely Lynn Whitfield (laughs) would be her mother Uh, because can nobody give you grief like uh, Miss Lynn okay Um, And then um, for the father, Courtney Vance. Her father just seems so refined. And every time I think about Courtney Vance, he seems like that type of personality. Very refined, very, you know, direct, very soft-spoken, none, you know, he didn't like the drama. Understanding and all that. Yes, (laughs) understanding and all of that good stuff. But those would be her if it was, you know, casting. <laughs> I like that. I like that. that, that that'd be dope. That'd be a dope, <laughs> a dope cast right there. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I, you know, and I, I feel like, like I said, I feel like, I feel like Carrie would bring it. I, I really do, you know. I know that it was kind of unconventional. It's like, well, she doesn't really, but I she's really get feel it. She, like, <laughs> you know, she would bring, she, she could get it. I feel like. <laughs> All right, cool. We're going to wrap, we're wrapping up the book thing and we are going to jump into our lightning round real quick before we end this episode. So what the lightning round is, it was 15 seconds, but that was too short. So we ask you two, I'm going to say two things. You got to choose one. Um, it's going to be 30 seconds to see how many questions you can answer. And I'll begin when you're ready. I'm ready. All right. Windows or Mac? Windows. Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Rap or R&B? Ooh, rap. <laughs> the Wire or Power? Power. Physical books or e-books? Physical books always. <laughs> Tea or coffee? <sighs> coffee. A million dollar home or a million dollar business? Million dollar business. And last but not least... Michael or Hudson? Carly. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'm oh, the author. Shit. I'm staying neutral. Damn. That's crazy. We about to get we about to get the truth out of you real quick. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. We appreciate you for coming through and hopping on the podcast. Your author Untamed. Everybody follow her on social media at Author Untamed, U-N-T-A-M-E-D. And make sure you check out her website, www.untamedpublishing.net. That's www.untamedpublishing.net. And make sure you check out every single book. But first, make sure y'all check out The View, which is a dope, 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 dope story. Obviously, you heard it first here that the second one is coming out soon. And make sure y'all check out all of her collection. You got the contract. You got so many other projects. Never again, no more. And you have King Sweet. So you got so many dope projects. You have the contract, the contract too. That's with uh, author JC. So just make sure you check out her whole catalog. Check out her whole catalog. She has a podcast as well. Make sure you jump on her podcast. She has a publishing company. Make sure if you don't want, uh, what should I say? If you want, don't want a janky ass publisher dancing all up in your, <laughs> dancing all up in your freaking royalties and, and, and jerking you around on Amazon. Make sure you go to, make sure you go to Untamed Publishing so they could so they could treat you good. How a writer supposed to be treated. And also if you are a writer and you're struggling and you got a story you can't get it out don't forget her ghost writing services she does it all author untamed thank you so much i appreciate it thank you it's a pleasure being with you tonight <laughs> all right take it easy we thank you we appreciate you and we'll have all the links to her information in the description of this podcast Thank you for joining us on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. Make sure you visit fictionaddictionpodcast.com for links on everything we talked about today, as well as awesome resources, additional tips, and fiction addiction merchandise.